This is the Strength Anger Podcast, part of the Berserker Strength Radio Network, featuring APF Illinois State Chairman Eric Stone, as well as AAPF AWPC Powerlifter Robert Bain. We are coming at you from 2XL Powerlifting in Lombard, Illinois, and you can find this podcast online on anchor.fm. Okay, we have a very exhausted stone and probably mildly as exhausted Bane. Who can barely speak. Right. Episode 7 here of the Strength Anger podcast. We apologize for Bane's uh, horse voice. He yeah. Was, he it was in use this weekend. He was yelling yesterday like freaking crazy. I, I was, I was a, a madman yesterday for a lot of reasons. So let's uh, let's do some housekeeping first. Yeah. Uh, so my forgotten Instagram post I mentioned last week but never talked about. So this guy has an Instagram handle called at Dried Hands, and he does reviews of hand dryers at gyms. Not a joke. Yeah, um, wait, I, only at gyms? I'm pretty sure, yes. Oh, that makes it even better. Uh, he's obviously a power lifter who is here from USAPL Raw Nationals, and I am going to re- something out post this maybe on instagram or somewhere else this photo of his post i'll I'll just read directly from it and it's got a picture of our literally shitty hand dryer we've got in our bathrooms here that we didn't put in they were just there and we just left them i think there's something to be said for a product any product that's exactly what you think it will be when you first see it because of that this medium powered warm strange placement clean machine gets an extra boost from four to seven five out of seven and he does hand dry reviews in a seven point scale. <laughs> so I don't even remember the context of that other than just like weird social media stuff. But I was going to mention that last week. And uh, that was part of our social media discussion and USAPL Raw Nationals Instagram, rah, rah, rah. Instagram explosion. Yes, yes. Um, and one, I, I listened to the podcast uh, when I was putting my house back together after being gone most of the weekend. Yeah. And. Uh, I think one, I wouldn't say big point, but medium point I missed. We talked about how a positive of social media is definitely the connection between you, the, you know, like Bane and I, the, you know, quote, lower level lifter or the local lifter and the quote, big name lifters. But I did think, I didn't, I think we missed talking about the connection between just lifters. I mean, Mm -hmm. I met people, quote unquote, online through message boards, and certainly now it's even more so through social media, that you can really get connected to a community online. And I do think that's a positive. I mean, you know, if you've got this weird niche hobby, like powerlifting sort of is, or whatever it is, you know, knitting or... Yep. Underwater basket weaving. Collecting random memorabilia, I think definitely social media, you know, can bring people together. They've got, you know, kind of these seemingly obscure, you know, interests yeah, I, I agree, and it's one of those awesome things where, and, and this does kind of bleed into you know this week's episode. It, when that community comes together in person, it's even more exciting because sometimes it's the first time people ever meet is at a big meet or, uh, you know, big again. Just having those connections is so uh, so important just in general, and then it creates an energy that is very difficult to duplicate uh, in an initial meeting. My wife Jackie, after listening to this past week's episode, reminded me of how. I was known online because I did post a lot on the message boards back in the day. <laughs> I don't know if it was negative or positive, but I was well known. Um, 
And then when people met me in person, the comment was always, A, you're younger than I thought you were, especially before kids. Yeah. I looked and I posted that picture on Facebook. That was me in the, you know, pre-social media era of internet powerlifting. I made a comment on that. Yeah, that I looked like I was 13 or 12. I looked pretty young. Yeah. I I assume you just gave yourself a haircut and then taped it to your uh, your chin because you still had the same same goatee. Thanks, asshole. (laughs) I say that with no hair on my own head, so, you know, I'm a jerk. I was told by my wife back then even, do not shave off your beard because then you'll really look like you're 12. (laughs) (laughs) Have I ever told the story about my wife and I's first fight? Uh, no. Oh, well, this is a good, this is related, so it's a good little aside. So, so this is our first fight. Remember, use the we language. Yeah, we language, our first fight, <laughs> definitely. This was not the strength and anger fight, by the way. And we haven't had a lot of fights, but we've already talked about two on the podcast now. <laughs> this was our first, quote, big fight. Okay. Uh, still dating? Yeah, we were, ju- I mean, we were just in the beginning stages of dating, maybe having dated two, maximum three months. Okay. Yeah, let me think. Oh, yeah, it, it would have been exactly March to July. So I guess we would have been dating about four months. Um, and for the 4th of July, Ernie Franz held a push-pull literally in the yard outside his gym. Because why don't you? Right. And the the grass was not completely level. And so when you're benching, it was maybe slightly on an angle. And deadlifting, they, like, turned the platform so you weren't even facing straight. So it was almost like you were pulling on a decline. What? And so I pulled my first 500 there after doing a squat workout because I was guilted into lifting into the meat. Okay. And he's like, I'm putting on this meat. Nobody's entered. So I'm like, I'll just enter deadlift only because it yeah. was a bench deadlift. And I was like, I'll just do my regular squat workout first. At that time, we mostly did squats and deadlifts together. Yep. I'm like, I'll just do my regular squat workout first as my quote warm-up and then go out to the yard and deadlift. So I paid my entry <laughs> fee and pulled my first 500 deadlift, actually. Nice. As part of my preparation for that meet, I don't know if that's really uh, the appropriate term. Hashtag meat prep. Yeah, I dyed my hair bleach blonde, which I had done before. I don't think I'd done it since I'd been dating da- Jackie. Yeah. This is literally right before I'm about to meet Jackie's parents. Oh, this is so they uh, they always, in those days, did a very big 4th of July party. They invited over a whole bunch of friends. It was a big yep. party. For my family, 4th of July, like, we have some people over, but not like their party back in those days. Yeah. And so I believe it was for that party. you guys don't like America or what? <laughs> we love America and the Stones, okay? <laughs> uh, so Jackie invited me to this party, and maybe it was just before that, and I'm not 100% sure on the 100% context, but I do remember... That when Jackie saw me with my bleach blonde hair, she was legitimately really pissed. That's awesome. So would she just like lose her shit on you or? Yeah, she was mad. <laughs> legitimately very mad. And I was, at first I thought she was joking. I didn't know that she was serious, that she was seriously mad. But yeah. I think she was self-conscious because I am four years younger than Jackie. Okay. At that time, she was a working adult living on her own, having a job for a few years. And basically dating Eminem. <laughs> Sorry, man. It was right there. And I was a college student. So she's dating a guy four years younger who is a college student. I would say in those days, based and you you saw the picture from those yep. days, yep. I did legitimately look young for my age. Even in that picture, I would have been... You, you still do, by the way. Like, you're, sure. you look young. I think children has aged me greatly in the last seven years a little, than yeah. the previous seven. Yeah, that's fair. 
So that, that picture I posted on Facebook would have been 2004. So I would have been just about 21 at that. Wow. And Jack and I started dating about a year after that, I would say. Okay. So I didn't look discernibly older. Yeah. But yeah, she was self-conscious because I, my perception. Yeah. I don't know that I can put my her thoughts, you know, in my mind. Though she may tell you. Yeah, she might tell me after listening to this, but <laughs> I can tell you 100% she was pissed That's, because oh. she's dating a college student who's four years younger, and she's, you know, bringing him home to meet her parents for the first time. And I would say even after four months, three months, whatever it was, we were fairly serious. I mean, yep. we were seriously dating. We were exclusively dating. So that was our first fight. And I don't know what the resolution of the fight was other than I'm sorry. <laughs> I didn't know I couldn't bleach my hair blonde. I, didn't, I, didn't I don't know. I'm sorry, officer. I uh, didn't know I couldn't do that. I, I, oh, you can't do that? <laughs> so I feel like I have to share them, so we have to kind of even it out. Okay. The first time I met Nicole's family. And this is not a one-upsmanship, but I think I might win this one. Okay. So, By the way, let's just finish the story here. Yeah, please. Uh, I don't think Jackie was that mad that I had my... I don't think she cared too much about my hair other than it was right before I was going to meet her parents. Yeah. But by the way, when I met her parents, other than the fact that I'm a Bears fan and they are Packers fans, Very I would say... People. I like Jackie's family, right? Yeah. I would say that the meeting went well, and I've always gotten along well with her parents. It's good. So it was all good. I think I made a decent impression considering I was a bleach blonde haired 22-year-old college student. And now you're, you know, son-in-law and father to their grandchildren so i think you did it right. right yes exactly i think you did it good um so again this uh, i feel like i just need to share uh give the viewers a little uh insight into me and my wife's relationship so nick and i met and you know we were 19 and 20 years old college students um did not realize we went to the same college till a little while after we met and so you met after college no where we met you? while we were going to school. But you met not at school. Not at school, correct. Totally okay. separate thing, but we all, as we were talking, got to know each other. Like, oh, you also go to Mount Mercy, and so do I. And um, She had heard of a guy on the soccer team, mm. not with the best reputation on the planet. I see. Yep. Uh, so we meet, and, and we, we begin our courtship, we'll put it that way. So I go to Easter with her family. Now, I did not realize that her cousins actually went to high school with me. Uh, ah. they were a year younger than I was and same hometown. Uh, yeah. So Cedar Rapids isn't huge, but it's still, you know, 125,000 people. So are. both from Cedar Rapids. That's where I lived. Yes. I, I still consider myself from Northern Virginia. I, I'm just saying your wife and you yes. both grew up in Cedar yep, Rapids. Correct. Correct. And so go, she walks in, we see her grandmother's like, Oh, Nikki, she calls her Nikki. So good to see you walks up and, her grandmother, by the way, sounds about like I do because she's smoked three packs a day for the last 60 years. So <laughs> she comes up and says, oh, Nikki, I didn't tell anybody because Nick's pregnant. And this is how I meet her family because <laughs> I'm the guy who knocked her up. So just for context here, you had impregnated your future wife five and a half months after I met her. And this was your first time meeting their fam- her family? Her entire family. Uh, did they know at that point? Or only, nope. only grandma knew, I guess. She was the only one, and she didn't tell anybody. Right. Yeah. And that's when her dad poked his head around the corner, and her Aunt Tracy was also in the kitchen, goes, tell us what, Nikki? Wow. Yep. So that was the first time I met next family. But you all get along not well, I, I assume, relatively. I get along great with Nick's mom. What about grandma? 
Grandma's fine. Grandma Berg's fine. Okay. All right. Yeah. So if nothing else, as long as I have the kids with me, we're fine. Okay. I think we'll 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 transition from that topic. That will cause more conversation in the gym at some point. Right. Um, So just to recap from last week, uh, I can get all the numbers and not that we're bringing in, you know, 20,000 downloads yet. But as far as numbers wise, it, it felt like when we were talking last week, maybe it's just because my mind was so disparate. It felt like we were just talking about a bunch of stuff all over the place. Yep. But when I listened to the episode, I actually seemed like we had some coherent points, and it got fairly good plays. That was one of our most downloaded episodes so far, yeah. other than our first one. And we got good feedback. Like, a lot of people were saying, like, dude, I really liked the episode. Yeah. Pat, one of our trainers here, said he loved the episode. Yeah. So, so we must have hit on some good points there on social media. I mean, again, huge topic. Yeah. Huge. Huge. Bigly. Um, and we even continue to talk to it, talk about it again with uh, at dried hands. You know, yeah. maybe, maybe give them a follow if you'd like to see how hand dryers work at gyms. Yeah, I think I might actually for that. Uh, so, Eric, what's going on? Oh my gosh, man, <laughs> I am hashtag exhausted, dude. Uh, oh my god, I'm so tired. <laughs> Such so, a long weekend. As we talked about last week, and if you're listening to this at a later point, this past weekend, as the time of recording this episode. We will use we language here. We will. Because it definitely was a team effort. We helped run the Chicago Strength Expo, WPC Can-Am, and WPO, which we will talk about at length today. And oh, yeah. by the way, we did say last week that we would talk about the Alphabet Soup of Powerlifting Federations. There's just so much to go through, and I think it's so fresh in Bane and I's mind, it makes the most sense to talk about what happened literally yesterday as yeah. we're recording this. So Th- this weekend is just... There's so much, and we will only scratch the surface, even yeah. with everything we go through. There's some today. stories we just can't even tell. Oh, yeah. But yeah, you got to be there for those. What's going on with me is I'm exhausted. Yeah. Um, I banged the hell out of my knee moving the equipment on Friday to the point where I had a gouge in the skin on my knee. My knee is bruised, and I was limping around most of the weekend. And did you not get lightheaded at one point? Definitely. Yeah, that, I remember... Eric is a really good poker face, actually. You never quite know how stressed out he is. I mean, he'll share sometimes. He comes walking up, there's blood going down his leg, and you can tell he is having trouble holding it together as he normally does. Well, because there's, we have to move the equipment. Right. So I, <laughs> He's trying to. I literally can't afford to be injured. So, right. And I didn't realize until later that my pants were soaked in blood and I had to throw them away. Yeah. And Jan. Jan. At Janifer Instagram. At the Janagram. Oh, at Janagram on Instagram. Yep. Um, she patched me up with like four band-aids and like wrapped it in athletic tape. When I got home that night, all of that stuff was just soaked in blood and my pants were done. So then I helped spot a little bit for some of the heavy squatters on Saturday. Yep. Because <clears throat> we had some concerned lifters on our quote 14-year-old spotters, by the way, whom did an awesome job along with Bain spotting on Saturday and Sunday with uh the big man, Kali, yep. led the platform on Sunday. They were all boys from Rudy's Gym and Joliet. They, they did always, a great job. They always do an excellent job. Some of them were, you know, newbies to spotting because it's football season. Yep. And, you know, it's hard to get football players that go to Rudy's Gym during football season. Yep. But we had them all. There was no drop bars. But oh. nonetheless, I jumped in and spotted on some 1,000-plus-pound squats we had even in the Can-Am. Yeah. And so my left arm is just bruised from people just dropping bars uh, I think my judge's shirt got like smashed, not smashed, ripped because it got caught under the collar yep. when I was spotting on uh, on Saturday, and just in general, just my 
my calves are lit up from walking so much around the gi- – I mean, the Mega Center is gigantic. Mega. It is a gigantic facility. It's especially- a huge facility. It's big. It's the greatest. I've seen a lot of centers, but this is the megaest. Exactly. <laughs> so without going into everything else we're going to go through today, that's I'd say that's what's generally going on with me. Nice. Uh, I, I can list off my injuries. I I literally have ripped calluses on my hands from twisting the bar to to get it centered all weekend long. Um, and Bane spotted and loaded at the WPO yesterday, which, which we will discuss, but context is king. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, so all weekend I was doing that. Uh, I have bruises all over my back from moving the equipment, from <laughs> catching the mono before it fell on Trace yesterday. Uh, it, just a, a ton of just general soreness. Um, and it's in my hip, too. I'm not and 100%. members of general soreness? Pardon? And members of general soreness? Yeah. And, again, something I did to my hip, I'm not 100% what, uh, what it is, but uh, I definitely had issues walking today uh, around the office. Uh, did a quick check on my, uh, on my app for my, uh, my Apple Watch. Uh, just between Friday and uh, last night, I walked 32 miles. Wow. Yeah. I kind of wish I would have had an app going on me for the last four days. Yeah. It was intense. Um, exhausted and, and had so – I actually turned my phone on. I started making a voice memo because I had so many thoughts going through my head after everything that went on on the weekend. And I was like, I don't even know how to put this all into context. I'm going to try to today, but it was just wow. Yeah. This might be something where maybe we need to spend a couple of episodes talking about this if we need to. Possibly. Or, you know, maybe come back to it after a couple of weeks, maybe when we have a little bit more uh, distance, sometimes some distance between an event and your thoughts, you can kind of codify them and revisit that. The adrenaline hangover is done. Sure. So that is going to be the, the topic of our podcast today is you know, a recap of this past weekend of the WPO of the Chicago Strength Expo and of the WPC Can-Am. Yeah. And I think there's, there's some, some cool stories that kind of led to, to all of this. And, and, uh, you said, you know, you kind of had, uh, some information about how, how the WPO came to Chicago. I think I did, now did that actually, was that the, the first step? And then we built, you guys built the Strength Expo around it or kind of how did that all come to be? Yeah. It was definitely the WPO was the impetus for the Strength Expo. Yeah, so I'll, I'll, I'll let you take yeah. that. Yeah, so it started with the WPO last year was part of the WPC Worlds, and Wayne Pullum, whom I think we will have on to talk about this origin story of how he, you know, revitalized or you know brought the WPO when it back, rose from the ashes. Rose from the ashes, as our WPO hats say. It had been gone for I think about ten, eleven years. And it returned last year on the seventh day of the WPC Worlds. Maybe it was the sixth day. I don't know. It was the end of the week. It was a long meet. And he had talked about there were some possibilities about another location. And I just sent him an email, as I often do, you know, just ask the question, hey, do you guys have a location for the WPO for 2019? And he said, you know, we've got a couple op- options he had some connections. I don't want to go through everything that he told me because it's confidential, but mm-hmm. he had a couple of other options he was looking into. And I said to him, you know, would you ever have any interest in bringing it to Chicago? Because I have some pretty good connections at a number of hotels in the area because mm-hmm. we have been running national meets. You know, Jared does a lot of things in hotels. <laughs> we'd, run a, we'd run a number of national world-level meets here in Chicago over the past, you know, five, six years. And yep. I've made some pretty good contacts with 
you know, hotel sales managers. And I said, you know, I have a few contacts. If you're interested, I can send a couple emails and see if there's any availability if you let me know what you're looking for. One of the issues last year was that Wayne's, and this was true of yesterday as well, um, of the WPO 2019, is that the stage and the setup for the WPO was vastly different than what was be set up for the WPC meet. Last year, Worlds, this year, the Can-Am. You know, similar, similar equipment and staff, but it definitely had a completely different feel and yeah, setup yeah. and atmosphere. The issue last year was that Wayne used the same room for the WPO that was used for the WPC Worlds, but he flipped the room around. He set up a new platform. He set up a stage behind the platform for the lifters to lock out on a ramp. He set up lights. Uh, there was chain link fence on the ramp. The warm-up room stayed the same, but the rest of the room had to be completely flipped around. It just so happened that the WPC World's last day was its biggest and longest day. It was the all-multiply day. Yeah. I don't think we got done until 7 or 8. Jeez. So then Wayne was setting up until the wee hours of the morning, and he said, you know, what we really need, at what I was first looking for, for Wayne was just a big ballroom to run the WPO in, and then maybe we could, you know, add on another meet of our own on top of that. At that point, I hadn't exactly thought about what to do. What Wayne said was that he really needed a bigger room than a ballroom and would actually prefer a, not a ballroom because of the aesthetic look of a ballroom with, you know, chandelier hanging down. Yep. You know, it looks like a place you have a wedding, which is exactly what it is. Yep. And so they wanted something, you know, with a bigger feel, an expo center. Huge feel. <laughs> and the place that came up was the Pheasant Run Resort, of which I had had a contact and a contract a couple different times for meets. But at that time, and this was December of 2018, I had not actually run a meet there. But I had a pretty good relationship with the sales manager in that we had talked a number of times about running meets. And actually, by that point, we already had a contract in place to run the Illinois State Meet yep. 2019 at the ballroom at Pheasant Run. And my thought was, well, it's a big room. It's about 12,000 square feet. Yeah, it was large. Plenty of room to run, you know, a two-platform event maybe one day and a WPO event the next day yep. was my thought. But Wayne had a different vision, and I, it all made sense. He wanted a big space where he basically could have a completely separate area that he could set up the mm -hmm. WPO while, you know, another meet was going on. Okay. And thus the the Pheasant Run Resort is what we eventually decided on. Uh, it was around February that we finally signed a contract. So December to February, we had been negotiating around and looking at different venues. I think he was looking at other cities as well. He had another offer from another meet director um, to help him, you know, I think somewhere in the Northeast. But at the end, you know, he felt the, the mega center was the best spot for it, Pheasant Run. Now, the mega center is not just big. It is truly mega. I mean, it's, it's a large place. I believe it is 20 or 25,000 square feet. Yeah, it's probably 20. Yeah, I think it's about 20,000 square feet. So in context, the Illinois State Meet Ballroom was 12,000 square feet. Yep. You know, your average powerlifting meet in a ballroom is probably, you know, somewhere between an eight and 12,000 square foot space. Yep. That's even for a two-platform event. So Wayne needed about 5,000 square feet or so. Mm -hmm. For his setup, um, we needed something similar to do a meet as well. And the idea came is that the problem with the WPO is that it's not going to be a large meet in numbers. Right. He wanted a meet this year. Last year was 
60 or 70, he wanted that cut basically in half yep. because there was a very specific time frame that needed to be set in. When you only have 30 lifters, your leverage with a venue is not very good. You need numbers to have some kind of financial leverage to guarantee a certain number of rooms, yep. you know, to get your rental costs down. And so you just couldn't do it with just a WPO. And so my idea to Wayne was, well, how about we run a meet alongside the WPO the day or days before? Originally, it was going to be one day. Right. This was before the ESPN deal was announced, but it was already in the works. In fact, ESPN was there at the WPO last year and met yeah, with they were, they were scouting, were they not? They were. And they had pages of notes that they talked about with Wayne. They had a bunch of things that they had suggested and said, this is how we can make this into a TV production. Mm-hmm. And so it, it turned out that Wayne actually wanted to run the WPO on a Monday, which was surprising to me. I mean, because traditionally powerlifting meets are almost always run on Saturday, Sunday, maybe Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Yeah. I I found it interesting that it was going to be a Monday, but I, as I was explaining it to people outside of the sport, I just kind of threw it out there like, yeah, you know, you've got, it's fall, Friday, you got high school football, Saturday, you got college football, Sunday, you got NFL. You know, Monday, you're just the precursor to Monday Night Football. It's got to generate some more interest. Right. They're looking for content at a time when people aren't watching stuff about football. Right. Basically. Right. And so because we have this now bigger space than we even need for two events, I had the idea of how about I invite other promoters into this space and make it a strength expo. Yep. And in actuality, when this first idea first came up, I told Wayne, this is really a, a, a year out plan. And in actuality, in order to in order to implement the Strength Expo to its fullest potential, I probably would have needed more like 12 months, not as it was. Again, we started in December. Oh, yeah. This is 12 to 15 months to plan for yeah. sure. This was started in December. We signed a contract in February, and the event was in October. Yeah. So we're really only talking about you know six, seven months of planning. Yeah. So it, I wouldn't say it's last minute, but it's definitely not for an event of this size what, you know, an event promoter would typically do. And especially first time. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and so I thought, well, I mean, Wayne and I, the WPO and 2XL Powerlifting with two separate events will basically take about half of that. And then I could take the other half and fill it with vendors, you know, exhibitors, and ideally other event promoters. And so I kind of combed the landscape of strength sports in Chicago I found the promoter that had run the Illinois State Meet for Olympic weightlifting, whom I had known, Tom Soroka, who ran a very successful, large Olympic weightlifting meet at the Strength Expo. Yep. He had, I think, about 100 lifters. I contacted USS, uh, United States Strongman. I have, you know, a passing acquaintance with Willie Wessels, who runs mm-hmm. USS, and he had directed me to the Illinois State Chair, Quint Sambone. Mm-hmm. And both of them were on board for promoting an event. One of my former, I don't want to say former clients, but someone who has come here to done some events and done some training with me, um, actually owns a gym in Oak Lawn, Maria Torres. She had said, hey, maybe you should think about contacting a kettlebell sport promoter because her, I don't know if it's team, but her gym had done our powerlifting meet last year, and they'd also done some kettlebell sport events, of which I knew nothing about. And she had recommended contacting the Chicago Kettlebell Club. So I contacted her, and she was on board. I tried to contact a CrossFit promoter because I thought that would be a good fit. I don't know that they really, you know, maybe this is kind of an off tangent, but it doesn't seem like they actually do, like, just CrossFit-promoted local events. There's basically the Open, 
And then <laughs> there is, you know, the regionals and the CrossFit finals. And I, you know, just from a business perspective, again, maybe this, I'm not the one that has, you know, millions of dollars being pumped in by Reebok and you True. Know, other stuff with CrossFit, but I'm not sure why instead of just doing these quote open contests at CrossFit gyms, they just don't do, you know, little local sanctioned contests and charges charge a sanction fee and make it a, you know, an actual event rather than just a workout. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I thought about that too. You know, what, what else would have worked? Would it be a strongman? Would it be a Highland Games? You know, what, what all, you know, and I was thinking about CrossFit too. And I'm like, yeah, I, I don't think I've ever seen them outside of, you know, that very, and that could also be how Reebok has, has done it and marketed it. Right. It is just the open and the regional qualifiers. I think that's what it is. But there are people who run similar, like, cross-training events or yep. fitness-type events. Um, I did actually contact a promoter, and surprisingly, the deal I offered, which full disclosure was, you know, I think a pretty good deal. I basically offered them the space in exchange for that the promoter of the overall strength expo would take, you know, all entrants, all spectators, yep. non-registered competitors. They wanted more than that, which I was like, I'm, you can't give me, I'm not going to do more than, you know, basically comp space. Yep. So I, I did look into that, um, and uh, that's kind of how it came together. Was the, the WPO was the foundation of it? We needed a spot for the WPO because yep. last year's event was good. It set the wheels in motion. It was not an excellent event, and I'm not saying this to criticize Wayne or the other people who were there. You know, Wayne did bring great lifters together, yep. and most of them were fairly happy despite it being a 12-hour day. It just, for a TV production, it was too long. There was too many lifters. It was not run as efficiently as it could have been. But what he did do was he did bring all the really, really great multiply lifters together in one event last year. And it set the foundation that it went well and made people want to come back to the next year's WPO. Yeah, I almost feel like last year's wasn't the four-minute mile. Like, oh, we can do this, right? But it definitely was, um, you know, kind of a, 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 it was a breakthrough type of moment where we, we can put something like this together, like this great event that, you know, the WPO has a, has a long history prior to last year and bringing it back. Uh, you really got people who were historians of the, of the sports saying this, this, this is what it's about this right here. And, and I think that's, that generated buzz that ran, it ran all through, all the way through yesterday and beyond. And it showed that the name value of the WPO was still there despite yep. the problems it had in the early 2000s, which ultimately led to its, you know, no longer being at the Arnold Classic and no longer being a thing. And Karen Kidder, the original owner of the WPO and still CEO owner of the WPC, mm-hmm. decided to discontinue the series. Right. So that is where it started. I didn't even sign contracts with the other event promoters until March. So we're talking Jeez. March to October for them to put together events. And I'll, I'll say, Tom Soroka and Quint, they did a good job of putting together two events. Yeah. Unfortunately, uh, Tom was also going to do a Maz Wrestling event, which was something he'd been looking to be able to do. Mm-hmm. If you're not familiar with Maz Wrestling, you know, Google a picture of it. It's, it's M-A- awesome. MAS Wrestling. It's kind of like arm wrestling with your whole body. There's a piece of wood between two individuals with their feet on it, and then they have a bar in their hands, correct? Yep, so they have a wooden bar, and they've got a plank. It's about six to eight inches uh, tall that you place your feet against, and then it's you are pulling, so it's a picture of a deadlift, but then it's also a side-to-side motion usually, and then there's twisting. It, it's a really interesting sport to watch. And the goal is to get your opponent over the center plank? 
Either get them over or get control of the stick, completely get control of the stick by pulling it out of their hands. Okay. And he had been looking for a venue to do this Maz Wrestling, and it was going to be a kind of a smaller event um, along with the Kettlebell Sport. Uh, you know, in my mind, we were going to have those on opposite days, and the Olympic Lifting and Strongman on opposite days, it did not work out that way. Yep. Um, it ended up being Strongman Olympic Lifting on the same day, which made for a big Saturday at the Strength Expo. Yeah, that was dope. I mean, a ton of people there. But the Maz Wrestling got canceled, and unfortunately, at the last minute, the Kettlebell Sport event got canceled as well. They did a small demo, and, you know, we chatted with them, and hopefully we'll be able to maybe bring them to the new facility to do events, or maybe next year if we do this again. Yep. But I would say the first day of the Strength Expo was a success. The second day, the meet itself, <coughs> the meet itself was a success, the, the WPC Can-Am that we ran, and we had a good amount of vendors. Uh, I don't think what we didn't, what we didn't generate, and we, I think we need more time, like you said, 12 to 15 months, really. We didn't just generate the interest of just the, the strength enthusiast yeah. just to come out and watch the show in general. Yeah. I don't think we had too many people like that. You had people that came to watch the Olympic lifting meet and that came to watch the Strongman event and came to watch the powerlifting meet, but you didn't have just like, you know, when they had the Chicago Fit Expo here. Yeah, exactly. Where people just came to go to the vendors, you know, or like the Arnold Classic at the very biggest, where it's just yep. there's an expo floor and there's a bunch of events. and people, The Olympia, these huge, huge venues. Exactly. Where yep. they don't just go. Some people just go to one event, but many yep. will go to see a lot of the events. Yep. And that is the type of individual we didn't attract as much of that that would be, if we do it again, would be something we'd try to target. No, I, I, I agree. I think it, it was, again... First time event that you basically had six months to plan that you needed, you know, at least double that to, to really maximize the the effort of it. I thought it was a great, great weekend. And that is not even including what all went on yesterday. That is a, is a great weekend that you guys put together. Right. And by the way, in addition to organizing the expo itself, we also ran the WPC Can-Am on yeah. those two days. So yeah. I was wearing two hats at once, maybe three. So that was, was challenging. Yeah. So alongside, again, you need some leverage with the hotel for lack of a better term in order to you know get a gigantic space like the mega center so wpc worlds this year business negotiation right here folks take notes (laughs) yeah right uh wpc worlds are in finland this year and you know just economics and logistics being as it may you know not every lifter that did apf nationals is going to be able to take the trip to finland unfortunately it'd be great if you know the apf had a a boatload of cash and could, you know, help pay the ways of the top three people or something, but that's not practical. And so we know some people go to Worlds, but yep. there's the opportunity for a fall internationally sanctioned meet that U.S. lifters would want to go to because they cannot, won't not, are not able to go to Worlds. Right. And so I, I went to Amy Jackson, the APF WPC office manager, and eventually the full WPC board with the idea of an international internationally sanctioned WPC event alongside the WPO. And what eventually was compromised on was to just do it as a Canadian-American meet. So we're not taking away from any European lifters that should and could go to Worlds, yep. but for your North American lifters that, you know, maybe, again, can't afford or are unable to get over to Finland, you know. Or don't feel like going to Idaho Falls for the World Cup. Yeah, that's another, that's another, <laughs> that's another discussion. But uh, so we wanted to create something that they could go to and set world records and have, you know, that international feel to it. Yep. And I worked with the Canadian Powerlifting Federation. Um, uh, Bruce McIntyre, uh, I think, is transitioning out of the role of 
CPF president, mm-hmm. but has been the CPF president. And I worked with him. He actually came and judged the two days of the Can-Am, which was, was great. Um, and that was kind of the concept of the meet alongside the WPO. And now, the, by that time, that it had been announced that you know, the main pathway to qualify for the WPO is going to be through APF WPC meets. Yep. And so we felt that having a meet alongside the WPO would attract some lifters that would want to qualify for next year's WPO. Right. And it went well. Um, you know, a couple of things happened that I don't know that took away from it, but definitely changed the plans of it. The first was that Rick Lawrence, who was the APF Florida State Chair and had possession of the APF truck, you know, suddenly passed away um, a number of months ago here. I think it was maybe back in June. June, yeah. Well, you know, it was after APF Nationals, and he was at APF Nationals in June, so it must have been late late June, July. No, no, it was was July because it was like a month out from AWPC Worlds. Yes, I think you're right, because he and Amy Jackson were to set to run AWPC Correct. Worlds. The plan was, as Rick had done last year for APF Equip Nationals and the previous year's AWPC Worlds, was for him to drive up with the APF truck from Florida, and inside the APF truck is four monoliths, three or four competition benches, a shit ton of weights, yep. kilo plates, bars, almost enough to run an entire two-platform meet. Basically enough plus one platform's worth more of equipment to run a two-platform meet. And that's what we did for the last two meets we had run with alongside Rick was he brought the truck, and then we brought another platform's worth of monolith bench, bars, kilo plates. Right. And that was the plan to run a two-platform meet for the Can-Am. When he died, and alongside that, we didn't get as many Canadian lifters as we thought we might. Originally, Bruce had us hold 70 slots, 35 per day, wow. which would have been a lot. And I think maybe he was just projecting, thinking because they had a bunch of lifters that wanted to go to Worlds last year, but some you know, couldn't get the travel arrangements. He thought, well, being closer to Canada, yep. we may get more in Chicago. We still ended up with a fair amount of Canadians, um, but not 70, definitely. Yeah, no, it was definitely not 70. So, the numbers of the meet were not as high as we had thought. Uh, the first day was was good size. It was 80 lifters. The second day had about 35, 40. Um, and with the death of Rick, and it was kind of some ambiguity on who would have possession of the APF truck, mm-hmm. now I think we've learned it's going to be Claudia Knowles and uh, Sean Knowles. Okay. Okay. Um, so they would have been great to bring it up, but as it turned out, you know, uh, did, Sean lift in, did Sean lift as well, or did just Claudia? I think just Claudia did. Okay, yes. I, I think I think Lloyd. I'm 90% sure, actually. Yeah, yeah Lloyd, Lloyd lifted. Lloyd lifted also spotted in the Lloyd. So I don't think yeah. Sean lifted, but... I had to give Lloyd a hug. Yep. So Claudia lifted, so it may not have been optimal for them to drive that giant box truck up from Florida and then, you know, had to try to lift. Yeah. So we ran one platform. Uh, we didn't quite get as many women and teen junior lifters as we thought because I do think there is probably less women teen juniors that want to lift in a WPC only or a non-tested meet versus an AAPF, AWPC meet. Correct. I would definitely so, say that is the case. So, I mean, overall, the Canon was good. Uh, but again, there were some challenges there. So maybe just given some history and context of, you know, I had some people ask me, you know, why didn't you do this two platforms? The first day was long. I mean, I think we ran it fairly efficiently. I think so. But it was, you know, great, it was... Great platform crew. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> but we had three flights of full power and a lot geared. We had five flights of bench, which yeah. is a lot, and four flights of deadlift. So it was a long day. It would have been better to run two platforms if we'd had, yeah. you know, the equipment and the staff and all that. Um, 
And that led into, I think what we're probably going to spend a, a good chunk of today on was the, again, you asked, was it the Strength Expo? And then let's add on the WPO. No, it definitely was with Wayne. Let's, yep. let's figure out a way to get the WPO to Chicago because I wanted to see it and I still wanted to see it continue. I didn't want to lose the momentum of last year. Yeah. And I knew that if I could help it all find a venue for Wayne and, you know, I do think Chicago is a good location, centrally located. You know, you can fly into Chicago and from just about anywhere. Yeah. On a maybe slightly selfish basis, I'd like to see the WPO. Yeah. And I think we have fairly good meat organizational skills and could help Wayne with some of the aspects of the meat last year that, you know, he struggled with because, and I'm not saying he struggled because he doesn't know how to run meats. You know, he's been running meats I don't know if he's run along with me, but he's definitely been involved in powerlifting for a long time. He was being pulled in many different directions last year. He was being pulled in trying to talk to ESPN reps and trying to create the show of the meet. Yep. And when you're being pulled in all the – and you had a, the documentary film crew for West Side versus the World there. Yep. There was a lot of different things going on, and it is difficult to handle all the little minutiae logistical details – when you are handling big picture items, which is what I think is Wayne's strength and what he was doing well last year that led to this year. And so I thought, well, if I could help Wayne with, you know, helping organize some of those smaller things that I think it could help the WPO, you know, continue to be successful. Yeah, I think, I think what you saw was a, a great opportunity to, you know, leverage the, the very complementary skill set that, that you guys have developed uh, as a production company at 2XL. And, and putting on meets and create this this experience for both uh, the the athletes and the WPO and them for the audience as well. And I think that the, you saw that opportunity. I think Wayne did as well, and that's ultimately what led to uh, what led to yesterday. And so it's uh, obviously it's kudos to, to both of you guys for figuring out how to make that work. And then um, it's quite the story on how everything yesterday came together. Yeah. So if you don't know what we're talking about, the WPO Super Open Finals the WPO Championship Series, as they're titling it now, was on ESPN3. The Trace. And you can find that on the ESPN app, or mm -hmm. you can also go onto the ESPN website and just search. And you can't search powerlifting. You can't search, uh, you can search weightlifting. Weightlifting, or if you go onto the watch on the website, uh, you can click on that, and it'll pull up the WPO Super Finals. Yeah, so you can watch the replay for as long as they keep it up there, I assume mm -hmm. for, I don't know, if they'll keep it up indefinitely. but I think it's at least six months. Okay. But it'll be up there for a while, I'll tell you that much. People yeah. are already watching it. Definitely. And it was live streamed on their app. Yep. And uh, we'll go into everything that went into that. But gosh, just off the top, I was so impressed with the production quality of the broadcast, of the live stream. It was amazing. Oh, my gosh. I mean, I was genuinely as impressed as I thought. Like, it, it exceeded my expectations more than I ever thought it could. I mean, it was, it was a professional sporting event. 100% in every sense of the word. I mean, for people that said, oh, this is just, you know, a bunch of people that are live streaming a powerlifting meet and ESPN's giving them their app to live stream it. No, this no. wasn't, this was an ESPN production crew. Yep. These were ESPN people. They were wearing ESPN stuff. They knew what the hell they were doing. And this was a TV production. I mean, again, I know it was a live streamed, but when you think about what's going on in TV, we talked about this a couple weeks ago. Mm -hmm. Uh, or no, we talked about last week with YouTube. Is YouTube going to replace TV? Yeah. Well, the direction most people of content watching is going is streaming. 
Yep. And, and mobile streaming specifically. Right. And so it only makes sense for ESPN to go out and say, you know, where can we find, you know, niche streaming content to fill this app that we have, the ESPN app, and get people to stay on that app and continue consuming content there and not yep. going to, I don't know, any other streaming content, Netflix, or even anything related to sports in general. I'm sure that you know, there might be a Big Ten Network app. There might be yep. a CBS Sports app. There might be a Fox Sports app. I don't know. I don't – I'm not – I don't do all the sportsing. Uh, I mean, I, I don't even have cable. So when I do watch sports, it's mostly the Bears. Yeah. Although, I God – How can – I mean, at least you were busy Sunday, so you couldn't watch oh, that. So sad. <laughs> Let's not even get into the Bears too much. Just make me even more depressed. <laughs> But I would just watch it on the regular broadcast TV because I don't have cable. Yeah. And, and I think, too, it, whether this was intentional or not, my gut says it was, you know, as ESPN was kind of scouting something like this, it's like, hey, where where do where, where is the community really built around powerlifting? And it is at meets and on social media. Yep. And, and so I was like, hey, how can we duplicate that mobile streaming and streaming in general? That's, that's how we're going to It's do almost it. like a perfect storm. I said this to somebody earlier because – um, one of my main points that about the WPO is that this was, it is, this was not a traditional powerlifting meet. This was a TV production. A 100%. This was not set up for, I mean, it was set up for the lifters to do well, certainly. It was not set up for the audience and the crowd. It was not set up the way that we normally do meets. No. It, it was set up as a TV production. And it was made for the audience watching it on that mobile app or watching it on their computer 100%. Yep. No, I, I, I agree with that. And for people who were maybe there and were watching or maybe in the back helping and were kind of confused on why we were doing certain things, it was all basically driven by ESPN and by the production that they were looking to do. Yep, and and keeping with the timetable. And, and, I mean, again, they wanted to get eyes onto that platform. Well, and the analogy I've talked about, anybody who knows anything about Strongman would tell you that the world's strongest man that has been on ESPN for, gosh, 20 years now or oh, 15 yeah. years? A oh, long yeah. time. I remember watching it. 20, I, yeah. 20 plus. Because I've been watching, I watched it when I was in high school. Yep. People who've been to that event or talked to people who've been to that event, it's not set up like a regular strongman meet. It oh. is It is a made-for-TV production. It often takes longer. It's almost the opposite. They yeah. take their time more. Sometimes I think I've heard they do it over a couple of days. It's if, a couple, three days, yeah. If it doesn't look right, they reset things up. And I don't know if they read do it because it still is a competition right but you know it is definitely a made for tv production but in that case instead of making it hey we have x number of time frame on a streaming app like we had for the wpo it is hey we can take whatever time because this is going to be a you know tailored and produced one hour tv show yep is it one hour or half hour uh they would they would usually do one hour um for World's Strongest Man, and they would show, like, the first 20 minutes of it would be slices of the regionals or, like, the the, the, the smaller heats as they ran up to, sure. you know, the final heat of 10 or 15 guys. And then sometimes they'd have, like, you know, human interest stories on the competitors and things like yeah. that, background on them. But that was definitely a, a television, a traditional one-hour, you know, 43-minute with commercials yep, yep. television show. Yeah, this was just straight six hours of content. Yeah, this was definitely it was almost it's almost like the perfect storm of like the technology exists now that and the push towards streaming content that did not exist even 5 years ago. Oh, yeah. I don't think that ESPN would have been looking to do something like that. No. And it was, hey, we've got somebody in uh 
the West Side versus the World producer, director, Michael Fahey. Mm -hmm. And we've got Wayne Pullum that has got the ability to draw some of the best multiply lifters in the world. And now we put that with the technology of streaming. And now we say, okay, we're going to take up a traditional powerlifting meet, the best lifters we can find in multiply, this, you know, the highest numbers. Yep. And we'll talk about raw versus equipped. Do and, you mean the highest squats? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, uh, here we go. <laughs> and let's, we're going to give you five hours, which is a long time, but when yeah. you think about how normal powerlifting meets go, especially a multiply meet, especially, you know, 30 giant multiply lifters, and, and the women are all giant. Yeah, the men are all giant either, but giant weights, we'll say that definitely. Oh, yeah. Big oh, yeah. weights. Huge. We're going to fit that into a five hour time frame. And for two flights of multiply lifters to get all their lifts done in five hours is pretty darn quick. It was amazing. And and when you think about it, with it being a TV production, and let's be earlier, we did it in one take. We did it all. We, it was live. We did it all in one take. Yeah, it was all live. And now they, and I've talked with Wayne, I, I believe they probably will slice and dice this up for, you know, maybe little clips that they'll play elsewhere. Maybe eventually, if they really like it, they'll take it and cut it up into a one hour yeah. product. Yeah. And they, like they've got all the footage. Some of the big lifts and all that. But I mean, just the, the live, I mean, it was. And really, there was no, there was no mishaps, like at all. And I think the only thing that I can think of is we forgot to put, throw a yellow on one time. Ken Stone caught it, and we before we called bar loaded. Right. That that was the only. Mishap so there's no misloads. Yeah, that's that's impressive. And there was was there any bars dropped, or there's one girl that hit the spud straps. Uh, no bars dropped, uh, and all lifters were caught before they hit the floor. Yeah. Wow, that's impressive, and no computer errors. There was one. Oh, okay. Did I miss? It was transpose numbers on the bottom of the screen uh, for one deadlift attempt. Okay. That's that's pretty good. I mean, and we actually had, well, let's back up to the night before because I want to give people some context of everything that was going on. Again, the entire, let's go back to the premise of why we booked this big mega center was so that Wayne could have, the WPO could have a large space dedicated for the whole weekend so that they would have time to set up a completely different setup than we had for the Can-Am, other than the equipment was the same. But they had a giant, I don't know, 20-foot-wide banner. Yeah, that's huge. They had, you know, what is that called, rigging that had the lights on? Uh, um, no, it's the uh, truss. Truss. That's, I couldn't think of the word. They had a giant square truss surrounding the yep. platform with lights. They had a camera on a scissor lift. They had one or two portable cameras going around. They had, the, they had the two POV cameras at the top of the right. The trust me, that was crazy. I mean, there was freaking wire. If I thought we had a lot of wires when we were on meets, I mean, <laughs> there were you wires. Had nothing. There was wires literally everywhere, going out every door in every which direction. Yep. I mean, and these guys, they set that up really quickly. And I'll tell you what, when they tore it down, they knew exactly what they were doing. It was like all the wires were. They were. Yeah. You know, spun up into yeah, whatever, and, and they were put into their boxes, and they were out of there real quick. And, they, I mean, they knew, like, the amperage on everything that was going on because we asked about the projector. And, I mean, they knew right away, like, uh, yeah, you can put that up. You can yeah, I was looking there. for a spot to plug in my projector. It was wild. And so the night before, again, we're, we're trying to set up the platform. We're putting under the truss. We put the platform down. It wasn't quite exactly where they wanted it. It yep. wasn't quite, quite exactly what they wanted. So we had to move that around. Mm-hmm. You know, Normally, when I set up for a meet, it's just, hey, Eric and Howard and maybe anybody else setting up, yep. where does it look good and we have a path for the lifters to get the platform and just plop, 
put yep. down our eight by out eight banner, much mm-hmm. smaller, put down our judges lights, put down our timer, put down our projector, and boom, we're good to go. We kind of have a normal way of doing it. Yep. For this, there was a certain place lifters had to come out from behind the curtain. Yep. There was a certain place lifters had to go out on the opposite side, out of the banner. Yep. Had to exit. They had to exit. Uh, excuse me. Yeah, they had to exit. We had to put the judges' lights in a separate location than yep. probably you normally would, out of the way of the banner, because we couldn't cover up the banner. It's got right. sponsors on there. We certainly couldn't put it blocking the truss or the lights or anything like that. We had to put the timer in a separate area. Yeah. So there was a, we had to put our scorer's table in a slightly different area. It was definitely not run in this, the fashion where, you know, in my mind, we'll put the scorer's table here because the listeners will come out and exit in the same spot. And as they're coming off the platform, they will give their next attempt or we'll have an expediter there to take their next attempt. Nope. Yep. That wasn't how we did it. No, it was it, it, normally with, and especially obviously the ones you guys run here at 2XL, it, it's a much more intimate type of meet. This was, I mean, obviously because we had such a huge space, way more spread out. And so it even made the logistics of a regular meet even more interesting. Definitely. And I don't know, there was changes being made or at least changes from what I thought. Again, I wasn't in on all the conversations and everything with the production people, but I did help organize some of the staff and some of the logistical people. You know, just before we started, we were told, no, we're not going to have a traditional announcer. And I I do think, I I chatted with Wayne about this. For those that uh, were at the event, you would have known this if you watched the TV broadcast because they had commentators. Donnie Thompson did an excellent job. Mm -hmm. Um, No, he did awesome. You know, he had a professional announcer or a commentator along with him mm-hmm. who didn't necessarily know a lot about powerlifting, but actually, ironically, my mother-in-law watched it or watched part mm-hmm. of it, and she said she appreciated kind of having, like, the common van view and then Donnie going in and explaining all that. Yeah. Kind of the, the outsider and the insider. Right. And so I was told, well, we're not going to have a traditional announcer. I think we probably could have had, you know, like at a football game or football broadcast, you do have obviously commentators, yep. but you also have a PA announcer to announce certain things to the, the, the crowd, the live audience. Yeah. I'm told that occasionally they say there's a Bears first down, but it's very rare. Oh, thanks, asshole. <laughs> they definitely – have you ever been to a Bears game? Uh, not a Bears game, actually. Okay. I've only been right. to one football game ever in my life. Wow. that's I've been to so many, I can't even count yeah. them all. I uh, went to RFK Stadium. My grandparents used to have uh, season tickets to the Redskins, and Mark Rippon blew out his knee, and I was banned from ever going to RFK again. Wow. In my family. <laughs> And, you know, without an announcer telling the order, then we needed an additional... Now, we did have the, the scoreboard that you normally see at the meet. We had that projected on the wall for the spotters to see, and we had it in the back. Yep. We had it in the back on a large TV screen. But, you know, lifters are, are accustomed to hearing the order. Yes. And so we did have to have an additional person in the back just basically looking at that TV screen and yelling out the order. Yep. Wayne and Michael then were had their headset on listening to the truck... And they were queuing when to send the lifters out after the bar was loaded because, yep. again, everything was timed. Yep. Yeah, it was, it was crazy. It would be rush, 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 or hold on a second. Like, again, this is all what I'm hearing because I was up on the platform. But, yep. uh, yeah, it was it was amazing. And then as we got – I was nervous as we came out of, of squats. I was like, hey, what time is it? I'm like, oh, my gosh, we only got a few hours left. And then as a meet typically does, it did speed up as we got through bench and, and, and the deadlifts. And – and it was wild. It was timed so perfect. I mean, we took almost exactly five hours, which I believe is the time allotted yeah. that we had. Uh, your your partner, Howard Penrose, said we started at 12.05 with first attempt, and we ended that last deadlift fell at 5.05. That's that's pretty good timing. That's, that's amazing. <laughs> you know, and they even had 
you know, kind of some B-roll footage they'd done the day before. Mm-hmm. Uh, Donnie Thompson was out there with Brian Carroll demonstrating the monolift, demonstrating powerlifting gear, Yep. you know, the squat suits, the deadlift suit, bench shirt. And yep. they were, I didn't, I haven't seen all of that footage, but you know, they did have some essentially what I think they call in TV production B-roll. As the, the filler stuff. Right. So yeah. when it's taking a little bit longer, maybe between attempts, when you go mm-hmm. from first to second attempts, you've got to strip the bar down. Yep. They were jumping to some of that footage. Um, I, Ken Stone, and Ken Stone, my brother was one of the judges. Mm-hmm. So you can send your hate tweets to at uh, KStone113 <laughs> for red lights. I don't actually know if he has a Twitter. He is on Facebook. Uh, <laughs> him and I were just impressed with the control of the platform because yeah. typically at a multiply meet, and again, we had a large area, so there was a lot of space to f- fill. Yep. Typically at a multiply meet, the platform is just covered with people everywhere, and it, it just becomes very hard to control. We try to put up stanchions so that at least the crowd doesn't start coming in yeah. to run the platform. Is, is this because of handlers coming up to support the lifters, or is it just people being weird, or like what's... Yeah. I mean, well, everybody's a freaking handler, and everyone's got like 12 coaches, and That's then pe- people come up close to the platform to video. That's the other thing. Yeah, okay. And because we had the For crowd... Instagram, Right, exactly. Because we had the crowd definitively separated mm-hmm. from the platform and nobody was to go there because it would have blocked the shot from the from the TV camera, Yep. Um, we did have very good control around the platform. That was one of the things Ken Stone and I said was about as impressive of anything. Yeah. Uh, the platform crew was all dressed in uniform for one of the sponsors, Inzer. In that fact, if anybody wanted to come up and do a three-man handoff on the bench... Mm-hmm. or even a center handoff, or even come cross through those curtains, they had to be in the Enzer uniform. Yep. And that was very clear that it had to be, everyone needed to look uniform, whether they were an official spotter and loader or whether they were a coach. Yeah, I, I am told there were some folks that tried to come out and were were told not to because they did not have the uniform. I, again, wasn't back there at the entrance, but. I wasn't back there. I mean, essentially my role was, you know, filling and runner, yep. you know, helping fill in the gaps and filling for the judges, make sure everyone was kind of in order. But yeah, Michael and Fahey. stand there and look pretty, of course. Yeah, yeah, I don't know about that. Michael Fahey was definitely there with a, a headset to the truck mm-hmm. and they were controlling who came in and out and. Uh, definitely that that was something very impressive yeah um yeah howard penderos my partner was sitting at the table espn had come up with their own excel document yeah uh, they had they they had talked about having access to our excel document but i think there might have just been too much going on there with yeah. the bar load and with the scoring and they just what they really were focused on and if you watch the broadcast they wanted leaderboards they wanted to see who was winning yep. via the gloss printer and so Howard was basically looking over the shoulder of Amy Jackson, who was running the computer, typing in the same numbers, mm-hmm. and then putting a one or a zero if it was a good lift, no lift. Yeah. And they that was fed directly to another computer. I, it must have been like a, a Google Share document or something like that. Yeah. And they were using that for some of the graphics you saw of what the current Glossbender score was. That's so cool. And what, you know, what the leaderboard looked like. In fact, when you saw people go up there, they'd say currently in third place, yep. currently in fourth place. Yep. You know, because again, it, especially when you're doing a powerless meet, and if you didn't know, this meet was scored via coefficient. Mm-hmm. And I could spend, gosh, 30 minutes going through how it works, but let's say it's essentially pound for pound. Yep. The lighter you are, the more credit you get. The heavier you are, the less credit you get. I whatever, so attacked right now. Whatever your body weight is, Essentially, that gives you a coefficient. You multiply that by your total, that gives you your coefficient or your clutch printer total or yep. Wilkes for you, you know, 
insta lifters that only know you know IPF. Although IPF ain't, ain't no Wilkes in the jungle. IPF doesn't use Wilkes anymore. Ironically, yeah, right. They use IPF points, but same thing as Wilkes, just a different formula. And but ESPN wanted the audience again. Let's go back to what this was a TV production, correct? And so it needs to be at least, if not totally understand, understood. The audience needs to at least see what the standings are. Yep. They've they've got to have some type of vested interest and in, and in knowing who's winning, that that draws it. One of the interesting things was I, I was kind of setting up all these little things: the timer, the lights, mm-hmm. you know, helping place the the platform and the the equipment and the projector and the scores table. When I set up our new light system, which is, which is fantastic, by the way, yeah, it, it's a very cool system. It's all wireless. It's something that you know other federations have been using, and I've been. Thinking of investing in this was just the right, definitely the right time to invest in it. Yep. And it's basically a wireless, quote, light system, but it, it projects white or red, basically giant dots onto a TV screen, or you could do a projector. As I was plugging that in to, to uh, it's a little Raspberry Pi computer, mm-hmm. one of the production guys came by and said, oh, is that the light system? And he unplugged my HDMI, plugged it into a splitter, and then sent that out to the truck. And if you look on the feed... They have the lights from that scoring system on the graphics when each lifter completes their lift. And that was just like, it, was it happenstance that he's did I, he do that? Or? Well, it had to have been. And I know maybe they had come and seen what was going on the day before. Okay. They hadn't talked. And I was the person setting up. They didn't really ask me anything about it. But they saw it. They saw me testing it. And they just came and plugged into it. So I think it might have just been kind of on the fly. Hey, that's cool. We could pipe that in. That's feed. so dope. Like, I mean, seriously, that's, that's cool. That shows you the level of professionalism and the production quality there. That they, yes. they just said, hey, if we can get you know the judges' lights the way that the audience can know whether lift is good or not. Again, especially without an announcer yep. and without you know just the commentator saying, oh, that the judges said that was a good lift. They can see whether they got two white lights or three white lights or yep. all red lights or two red lights. Yeah. And that was piped directly into the feed. Yeah, that, that, that looked very good. I didn't realize that they had, had done that directly. That's uh, that's really cool. It seemed to me it was kind of on happenstance. He was like, oh, hey, what's yeah. that? These are the judges' lights. Oh, let me plug into that. And they had so many wires, and they said, oh, you know what? Maybe we should take the feed and put it in the back. And they just grabbed a TV, grabbed a stand, and they had the the feed in the back so that the lifters could all see it. Yeah. which. Awesome which I think helped as well with the flow of the meet because they could see what was going on in the stage because you could not, in the back, unless you came around the audience, you could not see anything that was going in. In fact, the lighting guys were yelling at lifters that kept peeking through the curtain yeah. and trying to look at what the lifting was going on because it was messing up the lighting. Yeah, There was a big discussion the night before on... <laughs> I was part of this discussion. <laughs> ...on how many lights needed to be on because obviously... The lighting people and the TV production people's goal is to have a stage that looks good. You yep. know, they're looking at what the stage what the stage looks like. Bane and I were there as they were turning off a bunch of lights, and the warm room was almost completely dark. Yeah, I didn't come charging out of there, but I'm like, uh, yeah, this this is not going to work. I'll tell you from a lifter's perspective, I would lose my shit if that was my warm up room. It was like candlelight. Yeah, lighting at that point. Yeah. Eventually, they figured out, and it was darker in the warm room than, you know, a giantly lit gym or ballroom, yeah. but there was plenty of light. There was yeah. no issue seeing, but it was definitely darker than normal. Correct. Correct. I don't know what they figured out. They might have even gone up to the ceiling and unplugged some lights above the stage. I wouldn't doubt it. Um, but they definitely had a specific look they were looking for, and I think it looked, to me, it looked fantastic. 
yeah. the banner, the lighting, you know, that's not even counting all the graphics, but just the look of, you know, the shots they had was fantastic. I mean, we talked about, uh, you and I were talking earlier about the different camera angles they had. You know, they had at least one or two guys with a handheld camera following the yep. lifters from the platform, off the platform, into the back, yep. talk with their handlers. They had a camera on a, a scissor lift going kind of a direct shot. In fact, because of that, the head judge on the squat and deadlift had to be way further back yeah. than normal. I mean, normally you're pretty much right on the platform so that the lifter can hear and see you well. I mean, we are probably, what would you say, Bane, 10 feet back? Oh, yeah, for sure on deadlifts, yeah. Yeah, ten, dead, deadlift, Ken Stone was way far he, back. Like, all you see is his hand. Right, he is <laughs> far behind the platform. Yeah. And so he really had to get his, his voice going, and his, he had, Ken Stone, you did have some emphatic down, down. Sig- down signals with your hand. You did, sir. It was wonderful. Um, and then I, I'd say when talking with Wayne afterward, he was very pleased. I was very pleased, again exceeded my expectations from a production standpoint, even just a logistical running of the meat standpoint. Yeah. Because we actually had a computer glitch before the meat started where one lifter was not being sorted properly. And we had to basically delete her and re-enter her. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, when we did that, we lost all the lifters rack heights. Jesus. Now, it wasn't that big of a deal because at that point it was eh, 1030-ish. So we're still an hour and a half prior to start time. So I just went back there with a the clipboard, and I knew most of the lifters. And so I just went up to him and said, hey, can you give me a rack out again? And I'm sorry. Yep. You know, we had a computer glitch. I said to a couple of people, they were kind of annoyed. I said, hey, we'd rather have a computer glitch now, an hour and a half before the meet starts, rather than when we're trying to start the meet or during the meet, certainly. Yeah, and I'm sure, they, I'm sure they all agreed. Yeah, the lifters, most of them were fine when I explained that to yep. them. Um, but again, in, in talking with Wayne, I think the only thing he was not – super positive on was the awards. It was kind of like at the end, maybe we're running out of time. I don't know. But it was like, hey, let's call the lifters out. And Wayne talked and gave them medals and yep. belts. And it was kind of like, uh, okay. And nobody in the audience really knew what had happened. Yeah, you couldn't hear anything. And I had asked, at least for this, do you want me or someone to announce the winners? And he said, well, I don't know. I think so. We're yeah. not sure. And then all of a sudden, I think even before Wayne knew what happened, again, I'm sure on – the live stream on the everybody heard everything, but the audience had no idea. And maybe we should have again. Hindsight's twenty twenty. This is our first time doing it. It's hard to know all these things. Actually, foresight's going to be twenty twenty. Okay, because next year's twenty twenty. Ah, I see. <laughs> you know, maybe after the TV production was over, we could have gotten on the mic and for the audience said, "Let's announce the, the winners of the 2019 Fair. WPO finals. I yep. think that probably should have been what we do, at least so that the lifters, because I had lifters in the back as I was cleaning up saying, um, are we done now? <laughs> I said, yeah, that, that's yeah. it. St- stage is torn down and all the stuff. Right. Like well, I mean, this was just when I was grabbing wires, but I think yeah. we should have at least gotten on the PA at that point. Maybe the TV production's over, but yeah. for the lifters and the audience and for everybody, just say, hey, here's your winners. Let's have them all go on the platform. You know, it would have been nice to have some podiums. I think that's something that we could probably do in the future. Yep. Um, and just announce for the crowd, hey, here's your winners. Here's Dave Hoff, who won by a mile. Oh, oh God, we're going to talk about that. And we're going to talk about that. Yeah. And here is Tara Weber, correct? Yep. The Canadian who won on her last deadlift. Here's the Huge winner. pull. Awesome. Right. So that's my thoughts on the production end of things. Anything to add on that before we go into the competition, Bane? No, from your I, perspective. I think, no, most of my perspective is going to be from other than man, those lights were so hot. 
Yeah, you were sweaty. You were a sweaty man. Over there, <laughs> I was a very sweaty man. But no, it, it was it was so cool. It really was just to see everything going on and seeing it, knowing standing on the platform, seeing what you're just talking about, seeing the cameras, everything moving around, the wires, and and seeing you know looking over to my right and seeing Super D and all these people that I've you know, known for the last few years, you know, putting this production together, and knowing that there are not only people in the audience experiencing this, but there are you know. At least a dozen people watching this on a, on a live feed. I think there's a lot of people watching. Oh, I, mean, I, I, I kid, obviously. Right. I, it was. I mean, sure. You said that your your coworkers at your job were watching. The I will agree to that. Yes. Um, yeah, and, and even they said like the live stream was so cool because it wasn't what they expected was it to be because they've seen the videos when I you know either post them on social media or I show them if they ever ask. From the meet, and it's just it. There it is, stationary camera looking right at the at the right. platform. That's what they anticipated. And they're like, "We're gonna have this on for six hours." It sounds really dumb. It, it very engaging. Um, my boss even commented that he has not seen that many people at our office past five o'clock, uh, wow. ever. And which I'm like, that's dope. I I, I love that. Um, so yeah, so it was really really cool just to to know that a good production was put on that it engaged people who have not been around the sport ever. And before I forget, Bane, uh, we've got our notes here. We'll go through the competition. Yeah. We're going to go through Bane's view from the platform. From the platform, baby. But before we end, we ha- do have to talk about my last point, which is not on here, is the haters. Oh, I sent to one of them. I, yep. And we'll talk about that. But let's let's continue on the positive note here yeah. before we start really getting angry and strong. Oh, yeah. That's going to happen. So let's talk about the actual competition. We've talked about the behind the scenes and the production value. Oh, that's great. Let's talk about the competition because this was a powerlifting meet. Yep. Uh, First of all, just an interesting thing from a competition standpoint was they made the decision for the men to go first. I did think that was interesting. Which was not what I had planned. I had actually asked the question because I created the scorecards. Yeah. And originally men were going to be the second flight, which is traditional. Yeah. I actually think that was probably one of the best decisions they made. And probably contributed to the success of the meet as much as any decision that was made because the men took a long. I mean, they literally were warming up at probably minimally. There was men warming up at ten thirty. Everybody. Yeah. There were some of them that started warming up at ten. Yeah. And they took two hours to warm, and some of them probably two plus hours because they didn't go immediately. Yeah. No, I, I think it it definitely helped a a lot, and also it got people very because. It's really one of the folks that folk people want to see was Hoff, right? And, and, it, and it got him up there early. And it's always this thought of you know lead with your lead with your best, and not that not that the women aren't the best. Don't. Oh, there were plenty of women that were drawing people. You're Crystal right, Crystal Tate, Shauna Mendes, right? Like great, great female powerlifters, right? But I do think that you know if you think about what who is the superstar of this event, who is the guy that got interviewed? It definitely was Dave Hoff. Oh yeah, he was the superstar of this, and the women all did an excellent job. So don't. You know, mince my words that I'm saying anything bad about the female lifters. Nope. But I do think that... I think I might have been most hyped for the female lifters. Yeah, no, definitely. Uh, but even just from a logistical standpoint, the problem with having the bigger... And we it's funny because I talked about this with Bruce McIntyre. He has done some meet where he said he led with the heavyweight equipped lifters. Yeah. Because of that reason, they take so much longer to warm up. The problem is that no one's ever used to that. And yeah. so they they... they come to the meet expecting to be in the last flight, the yep. second, the third, the fourth flight. Yep. And so they usually come later and, you know, Whoops. they're right. He says, as long as you communicate it early enough and let everyone know, hey, we're going to lead off with the heavyweight equipped guys, 
it turns out okay for them. And yeah. they had obviously been told at WANs. I didn't know, but they knew. That's good. It was communicated and, well. And I think everybody was ready to go by the time we started at 12. There was nobody, like, not in their squat suits and not wrapped think... up and ready. No one timed out. No, not a single person timed out. On that. Uh, yeah, not in the men. There was a woman that timed out, I yes. believe. Yes, there, there was, was one. But it wasn't because she wasn't ready to go. No, she was on the platform. She, she was not rack properly. Right. She was a little, she was a little late. But Getting she, out there, yeah. Right. She was. She, I mean, if she had gotten out there with 45 seconds left, she probably still could have gotten Yeah, I think but, it was 20 when she got out there. Right. So she was a little rushed. But I think that, from a competition standpoint and a logistical standpoint, worked really well because the problem with having a heavyweight guys second is they'll start warming up while the females, who aren't going to be doing as big a weights mm-hmm. and probably, as a result, won't take quite as long. Right. Um, and their flight will probably be slightly quicker. I think the men's flight took over an hour. Yep. The women's flight took maybe 45 minutes. Roughly, yeah. So if the men only have the time frame on the monoliths of when the women are doing their actual lifting, which is what it, what it usually would be, right. that could be a very, very rushed warm-up. And right. if we want the lifters, I mean, not that we're going to cater to everything, but if we do want to set up an optimal environment for the best numbers, which is partly what we're looking for in addition for, to... For TV production. Right. Yeah. And, I mean, you know, we still have to fit within the confines of this time frame, so we can't take breaks between flights and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But I do think that was... Whoever made that decision, it wasn't me, maybe it was... ESPN, maybe it was Michael or Wayne. I don't know. That that was good call, and I didn't. That wasn't something I would have done. So yeah. I have to say that's a good call. Let's talk about the judging and some bombs. Oh, bombs! Yeah, you know I wasn't on the platform the whole time. Um, the the judges, if you're curious, was my brother Ken Stone, mm-hmm. Liz Nathuda from Texas, and Joe Ladner from Mississippi. Yep. So the judges, they really don't even know each other. So there, if anybody has any conspiracies about that. You know, they're, you know, judging in a certain way. Liz and Ken Stone had never met each other. Yeah. I think Liz and Joe probably knew of each other. Um, Ken had probably met Joe at a previous meet, but only once. Yeah. And I don't think any of them came in with any specific agenda, just came to judge. Yeah, I... The people that have the conspiracy theories, again, I know we're going to... The hater talk will kind of bleed into all this as we talk about it, but... Everything that I saw, the judges were fair. They were consistent. Um, at one point, Liz actually tapped me. She said, if you don't get out of the way, because there's one at one point there was a very heavy bench that was going on. She couldn't see. She's like, I'm going to red light people because you're in my way. So she was being consistent. She says, I'm not going to give lights away. Right. And so I, which I applaud her for that. That That is the right way to think about judging. Yeah. And there were some 2-1 calls, maybe some that, you know, could have gone either way. I think a lot of times if it was something that was, you know, on the edge, I do think it was more on the end of the tie went to the lifter. I think so, especially if the, the lifter had a, a speedy ascent. I think they kind of gave it to him in, in that, like, to your point, they gave that tie to the lifter. Right. I do think that if squats were definitively high, it looked like to me that they got red-lighted by the two side referees. Yep. And squats that were barely, barely in either got one red or got three whites. Yeah. If it was, again, right on the borderline. Um, so you had... Five bombs? No, excuse me. You had four bombs in the squat for the men. Yep. You had one bomb in the bench for the men, which was not a judging issue. You just, no, just couldn't, couldn't bench it. it. I believe the women had how many bombs? Um, I think on only squats, I think only one. One and then squat and then, and then just. Then, I think was it one or two on bench? Yeah, I know one, that one for sure. Yeah, Crystal Tate definitely bombed in the bench. Unfortunately, there might have yeah. been one other one, but there was actually I when I went into this meet knowing that people are going. 
going for broke, balls to the wall, yep. because this is not generally a meet you just go to set PRs. This is a meet you go for the win, usually. Yep. I was expecting more bombs, I have to be honest. I, I, I was too. I, I predicted I really at was. least a third, and we had that for the men. We did not have for the women, yeah. which doesn't surprise me. Women generally live with less ego <laughs> than men. Yeah. It. Uh, so yeah, I mean, the bombs certainly unfortunate because I know Matt Manuth, you know, came in with a lot of fanfare. You know, a lot of people. Local had, guy. Local guy. People wanted to see him. You know, the crowd was whipped up for him and everything. And so I, I know we really wanted to see him. You know, lift big. This wasn't there. Um, yeah, his one of his friends, Sean Knowles, who was helping us run the meet, said he looked like he was kind of on his toes yeah. and just couldn't quite get himself set. Yeah. Um, another local guy, Tom Croyick, just yeah. didn't did not have it on the bench. Yeah. Um, just couldn't, couldn't. Crystal Tate, we talked about another local lifter. Just she had an unbelievable squat. I mean, just just fantastic. What was it? Eight fourteen. Eight fourteen. Unbelievable. Uh, coefficient female squat of all time. Wow. And unfortunately, just. She was very close, but just could not get a bench in. Yeah. Um, and it was not a, a, a judging decision. It was just no. she was unable to lock it out three times and had trouble touching. Yeah, she did. I mean, it was a, it was a just, long – oh, my God, that first one just took forever. A very long descent. And, and, and I'm, I'm telling you, I, I, am a, I am a huge Crystal Tate fan. And so that was – Same. You know, it, it, I, I, love I, I was rooting for the local people. Yeah. Tom, and the three of them Tom the bomb. Too, yeah. Right. That, three of the local guys, I'm – I don't know if I would say I'm friends, but I'm friendly with all of them and, yeah. and would like to have seen all of them do well. Matt Manuth last year is... I mean, his story is legendary. Famously last year, uh, he was winning, going coming out of the bench. Yep. And, and last year, they'd had a different format. This year was top three coefficient men, women. That's it. Yep. One category each. Last year, they had three categories, lightweight, middleweight, heavyweight. Yep. But and also they, significantly more lifters. Yeah. They had like six, 70 lifters at the start, at yeah. least. Matt Manuth for the win in the middleweights, mm-hmm. after tearing his bicep on his first deadlift, came out, missed it on his second, yep. came out in his third with a super tightly wrapped wrist and an elbow sleeve on his torn bicep arm. Yep. And all this was just his opener. But all he needed to do for the win was to pull his opener and was able to do it on his third. Yep. And that gave him, at that time, the all-time world record at 242, I believe. So, yeah, I mean, you, just... You could be right. So I mean, crazy, crazy story there, and that was a video that the WPO had shared on social media because it was an awesome story. I oh, mean, it yeah. was—I mean, a guy tears his bicep and then guts out with a torn bicep yeah. for the win, and just missed it twice. Yeah, twice he missed it and came back and got it. Uh, uh, you, Watching that video almost gives you goosebumps if you go back on the WPO Instagram page and watch it. Yeah, and, and you don't because you don't do that. Most people you don't miss twice and then get your third. And you don't tear your bicep and normally continue lifting. Correct. A- any other normal meet, everybody else, anybody else probably would have been done. Yeah. But Matt Manuth is a freak of nature. He's not human. A number of years ago at the XPC at the Arnold, he won, I believe, the lightweights on Saturday. And then Sunday went to the bench. Yes, that was No, no, my... no. Sunday, he did the full power. This was a different meet. Oh, a different one. Okay. This I, was a different meet. I was the one who won the bench press. Right. He, he did that a different time, but there was a meet a number of years ago where he lifted full power two days in a row, lightweight the first day, weighed in again that same day he lifted, like, between lifts, heavier. So I think he lifted 220 the first day, 242 the second day, and was within a deadlift locking out from winning the second day. I mean... Lifting in a, a full-geared meet, just as, a, you know, a peon of a lifter like myself, mm-hmm. destroys me. But doing that two days in a row is... On an elite stage. Right. <laughs> and winning the first day and coming in, I believe, second the second day is unbelievable. Yeah. So disappointing to not, to not see him do well. It, it really is. Um, 
And, again, and he had a lot of people there watching him. He probably right. got some of the loudest cheers from the audience. And <laughs> but let's talk about the you know the eight hundred pound gorilla. I mean Hoff, unbelievable is the word I could use. Well, so here's where I'll say it's because I've, I've used that to describe it to people that either a watched or b um, it, you know I, I was telling about this this meat. It is believable because it's Hoff. Because Hoff is showing us, I mean, the man has, the math right, now 15 of the top 25 totals of all time. Right. And he, he, he said it after weigh-ins. He said, you're going to see something you've never seen before. Well, and if you haven't seen the results, Hoff totaled 3,102, an yep. all-time world record total. Yep. He squatted 1,273. Yep. He benched 1,014. Yep. And he deadlifted 815. Yep. I don't know if those are meat PRs or anything. I do know that the squat is okay. How about the bench? Has he done more? Maybe a bench only meet, uh, possibly, possibly, but it's yeah. close. Yeah, no, I mean he's, it's definitely right around there. By the way, he only took six attempts. He took two squats. He took two benches. No, he took three, he took all three benches. Oh, did he take he all did, three yep, benches? Okay, because yep. we we were texting about this earlier. Okay, he took seven attempts. He went seven for seven. Okay, seven for seven. He passed on his last squat and his last deadlift. So okay, on seven attempts, still still impressive. Yeah. You know, he passed on his. Th- I, I understood. I mean, I, I thought honestly he was going to go to thirteen hundred. I thought he was too on his squat after his second, which looked solid, not easy, but solid, solid. But I think he was going for the total and going for the win. Now, granted, he could have pulled probably a hundred pounds less at the end, and he was so far ahead in the coefficient. He won by I think over a hundred points. Yeah, yeah. The co- coefficient. <laughs> I was doing this too again, explaining to people. 104 points between him and Merck, which who it, got second. Which is difficult when you're heavyweight because, again, the coefficients are favored towards the lightweight lifters. You yep. get more credit if you're a lightweight person. Correct. But his lifts are so far and above beyond what anybody does that he won by a mile, basically. Yeah, to, to give you to give those listening who, who have not seen the, the score sheet context, the coefficient score, Hoff was over the second-place lifter, uh, by 104 coefficient points, the difference between second and tenth was less than 90 points. Right. He was just... I mean, it's just... It's unreal. And all of his attempts looked about as solid as you... And sometimes, I think, multiply lifting gets a fair criticism that sometimes the lifts don't look as clean. Now, it doesn't really matter how the lifts look as long as they adhere to the rules. Correct. Hoff's lifts not only adhered to the rules, they looked pretty. I mean, he yeah. looked solid. He didn't. He wasn't shaking with his no. twelve seventy three squat or his a thousand fourteen bench. He handled the weight as well as anybody I've ever seen handle any weight even close to that. I, showing showing non lifters those numbers, and then the videos. The the way I could describe it to them was it. Having never seen this in person, this is what I assume it was like watching Michael Jordan in his prime, where he would tell you what he's going to do, and you know how to stop it, and he still does it to you. Right. The, like the game versus the Trailblazers in the 92 finals it's, when game, he hit six three-pointers out of nowhere. Right. Or the game six uh, of the 96 final. Like, th- this was Hoff at, I don't want to say the peak, because I don't think he's quite there yet. I think he was saving some, because he could have taken more on all three attempts, I, I feel like. I believe it, so. It, at the very least on the squat and deadlift. I mean, he held yeah. his last deadlift at the top for 10 seconds. Oh, he had to get the whole speech out. So. <laughs> yes. Um, By the way, funny moment. It's, I guess at some point, Joe Ladner told my brother, yep. tell him they can't wear their hats. 
Yeah. And I do think the WPO has, in most ways, has the same rule book as the WPC. Mm-hmm. And the WPC, you cannot wear beanies at an international meet. Yeah. And I think the WPO allows that because it's a little bit more of a show. And yep. that's not something that yes, fundamentally affects the lift. And so there was a shot on camera where Hoff says, you know, they don't tell fucking Hoff to take off his hat. Yeah. Um, and so we laughed about that. And I think he was able to wear it after that. He was because I actually called him out and said, hat. And he looks at me and goes, no. <laughs> like, okay. That's okay. I think he was given authorization from Wayne he, to wear he, it. He was given. But the, the head judge, because I asked my brother, did you tell him to take it off? And he said, yes, because the head judge told me to. Yeah. So, you know, it's one of those things where because it's a new organization, we maybe need to just make sure everybody knows some of those small minutia rules that might be just. And, and there's some history with that hat, though. Well, right. He was wearing the Chuck Vogelpohl, yeah. you know, beanie. flaming beanie. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So I get it. Um yeah, does, uh, just a funny moment because he was cursing out after Ken Stone told him to take the hat off, <laughs> and I don't. I think he was fine. I mean, he's met my brother and I before. Yep. My brother judged him at an APF Equip Nationals last year. Yep. Um. So no, no, Hoff, if you listen to this, no hate. Ken Stone was just doing what he was told. Yeah, and also congratulations, well done, sir. Amazing performance. Howard Truly. Penrose is going to send Hoff a making equip lifting great again hat, a mega, mega hat, mega. I mean, let's talk about in the men's competition. Hoff was unbelievable. And there was some good competition, two yeah. through four. Yeah. You know, Bob Merck had a great day. Daniel Tenagero, who I really like as a lifter, mm-hmm. you know, coming back from a ruptured patellar tendon, if you didn't know that, Bane. He, he blew – I watched that video when he posted it. He blew that thing apart. You know, he took third. Yeah. And I, I chatted with him afterwards because he actually coaches a good friend of mine, Jake Stratton. And oh, Okay. Uh, so, uh, nice surprise yesterday. Jake was there and did oh. not anticipate him coming out from Cedar Rapids. And it, it was just, I, I talked to to Danny. And I'm like, dude, don't call it a comeback. Like, that was incredible. And then when you put on top of that everything you've had to overcome over the last 14 months, like that is just crazy to watch the numbers you put up and how, you know, really simple you made it look. I mean, he really, he went out and he executed. He's, he's a, a very day. technically sound lifter. He really is. All he three was, of those top three are actually. Oh, yeah. And Bob, I mean, Bob had actually never watched Lyft before. He was I've seen him. Amazing. I don't think I've ever seen him watch him in person. I do follow him on Facebook. Yeah. And I, I've watched his videos very strong. Um, very, very strong. Had a very good day as well. But let's talk about, I mean, the men. And you he know, was second last year too, Hoff, correct? I think he did. Yeah. I mean, the men were, Hoff was, you know, kind of head and shoulders above. And the women, man, you really had a competition that went right down literally to the last deadlift. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Tara Weber from Canada was, I believe, in fourth place. Going in, going in the deads, yeah. Going in the last, de- I think even going in the last deadlift, she was third or fourth, and uh, she took a big jump. I believe Howard Pendros told me about a twenty kilo, seventeen and a half kilo jump, something like that. Yeah, it was a big one. It, it was a big jump, and her, I think, boyfriend, husband, coach. I'm not mm-hmm. sure the relationship there, but all of the above. <laughs> yeah, I mean, all of them. Well, it's probably not, like, probably not boyfriend and husband. Probably one or the other, but you know, whatever. Um, had told Howard that that was more than she had ever pulled before. Yeah. And that gave her the win on her last deadlift. That's and that is exactly what powerlifting needs is moments like that, right? Where it was very, and I don't know if that came across in the TV broadcast. If they knew that was for the win, uh, it was. It was after she had pulled it. Yes, yeah. But I mean, going the lead up into it was not there. That is something that I had talked about with you know Wayne and uh, 
Michael and Howard and I were, you know, how we could try to figure out the scoring and ESPN was trying to figure out how exactly they wanted to do things. One of the things I had said was maybe we could look at projected coefficient. And that's that's difficult because now you're like, you've got the coefficient, you've got your current subtotal total, yep. and then you're projecting out how much more it will be if you pull what you have on the bar for the next deadlift. Mm. I do think that's something that they could look at. And, you know, on a TV, you know, commentator standpoint, they could say, hey, if she pulls this, this will give her the win. Or right, right. if you know, X lifter pulls X weight, Y weight, then that will move them into second place. Right. Those are the type of things that would be interesting in the deadlift um, they, from a future standpoint. And uh, there's ways of doing that. I'm yeah, sure there's, there's programs out there. Right. I ESPN could probably, I mean, or Howard could probably figure out how to, you know, create a program that shows that it, it's challenging, but it's not, yeah. it's we're not, not talking it's, advanced. It's, math. it's not impossible. We're not talking advanced math there. No, no. So those are my thoughts on the competition. Um, very impressive lifting all around. Yeah. You know, a very well-run event, a very excellent, you know, TV production. Um, if you didn't see, my man, Robert Bain, was along with uh, a number of other members from 2XL, uh, along with Lloyd from Florida and one of our lifters, John, mm-hmm. who did one of our meets, were on the platform. So what was the view as a spotter loader on the platform, Bain? Phenomenal. It, it really, really was. Um, and, and, you know, as some people ask, you know, why you, know, you weren't competing, why would you go do that? First things first, I, I think it's an incredibly important thing for, for lifter safety. I know we kind of joked about it earlier, but, you know, there's always some concerns when you've got maybe inexperienced lifters or uh, younger spotters and loaders because they, they don't have the eye for when things go wrong. Especially when you talk about geared lifting, it's in a different animal. I can usually tell when someone's going to fall, especially on the squat and bench. Yeah. I mean, deadlift, we're not spotting, but especially on the we, bench. We had to yesterday. <laughs> yes, I guess you're back spotting people passing out. Yeah. Especially on the bench, if you know what you're looking for, I can usually tell when someone's about to throw it to the dick or throw, <laughs> it, to the, throw it to the forehead. Yeah, so, someone's going to eat, eat their teeth. Uh, so, you know, I, I, I really, really believe in that, but... Secondly, like I, this is selfish. I wanted the best seat in the house, and I knew if I if I was spotting and loading, I'm going to have the absolute best seat in the house. I get to watch all these f- top level athletes at the top of their game, and you were right there, literally on the platform, Bane, as yep. Dave Hoff, the first person ever to break 3100, and that will never be broken for the first time again. Nope. Never. No, nope. I mean, if you Donnie if you Tom- watch that video, there's. Joey Johnson, right behind, literally right behind him. He and I actually talked about it. I said, I get Hoffs first, you get the second. If he goes for the third, it, we, we'll fight it. But <laughs> he, he's right there behind him, and there I am to the side of the platform if for whatever reason something goes wrong, and we got to catch him. Right. I mean, and Donnie Thompson, the commentator there, was Mr. 3,000, first 3,000-pound yep. total. Yep. Here's the impressive, and not that Donnie's was not impressive because, again, that's like you talked about, that's like breaking the four-minute mile with yep. Donnie. Yep. You know, the 3,000 total that he – he did it at 46 years old. He'd Which been ch- is just unbelievable. Right. He'd been chasing it for a number of years. He talked about, you know, herniated discs. Mm-hmm. And if you ever, he's a great follow on Instagram. He's got a ton of great recovery and training info. Yep. But think about this. D- uh, Donnie did it at a meet. I don't believe it was a, at that point, it was kind of when multiply powerlifting was a little down. Mm-hmm. So he didn't do it at a Arnold Classic or an XPC or a Nationals or Worlds. And not, again, not to take away from it. But Dave Hoff did it at the biggest multiply meet of the year. And one of the live biggest... Live on ESPN. Live on ESPN and in a very, you know, constrained time frame. I mean, for multiply lifters to get... Dave's first squat was probably at 
we'll say 1245. The latest, yeah. And his last deadlift was at 430. Yep. So in about four hours, he did max attempts on all three lifts, had a PR total. Yep. All time world record total. Yep. The first 30, 3100 total. Yep. He, had, he actually broke the all time world record total on his opening deadlift. He had 30, 33. Right. Because his previous best total was 1014. Three, yeah. Correct. And so he had all the stars aligned. You know, did he miss it? Did he miss an attempt on bench? He did not miss any attempts. Right. He'd missed no attempts. Yeah. Seven for seven. He passed on two lifts. Yeah. He, Just imagine he passed on two lifts and he yeah. broke 3,100. But he did what he needed to do to break 3,100 yep. to win the meet. Yep. And you and Joe at JJ underscore fitness 13. Yep. Uh, Trace. Trace, our Detman. guy from here. Detman. Uh, Lloyd, John, yeah. and Georgie. Yep. At Georgie, not on the gram. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we, we had, we had the best view in the house and it was, it was so cool to do that. But then on the flip side of that, like I, I, I sit here with a a pretty big amount of pride saying not a bar was dropped and not a lifter hit the floor without our hands on them. And we got compliments. I don't know if you saw them, but I got on my social media feed and elsewhere, I saw compliments on how safe the, the lifters felt with you guys on the platform. Coming from Shauna Mendelson, that that meant a lot. I right. saw I saw that one specifically. Right. I saw a number one that said, and, you know, the spotters were great. They were encouraging. Bane was out there freaking yelling, <laughs> getting the crowd, you know, up. Which again, it's hard because we didn't have an announcer yeah. to get the crowd going, and the crowd cheering is part of the it's part of the product. It, you know, it, it and is. I do I do think that's one thing. If there was one thing that the ESPN TV production end of things maybe missed was that, you know. Hearing a cheer from, like, when you talk about watching pro wrestling, yeah, and not that this is pro wrestling because it's a competition, but part of, you know, what gauges whether it's a good match or not in pro wrestling is the reaction from the crowd. Right. And that cheering, you know, is something that I think adds to what's going on there. Well, think about this. I mean, people actually have entire <coughs> YouTube compilations of um, Stone Cold making his entrance when they hear the glass break and the crowd goes nuts. Like, that's... It, that I believe is the one of the next evolutions of of powerlifting is stuff like that, right? And, and getting that crowd reaction and um, and, and I missed this earlier, but uh, you know we had a separate lighting company from the production company. Yeah. And if you didn't know, and I'm not sure they said it always on the broadcast, but when smoke came up, that was a WPO world record. Yeah, but, I, didn't, I didn't hear that, but I, I assumed it was some type of the audience didn't know it, and yeah. and we had to have uh, Eric Hubbs, our South Carolina state chair, on his phone looking at the the WPO website and the world records. And he was doing hand signals over to the lighting guy to let him know when there was a world record attempt. Yeah. And before the lighting guy figured out that two white lights meant a good lift, <laughs> had to let him know whether it was good or bad. Yeah. I mean, he figured that out. Not a terribly complicated concept. It's pretty simple. But that was something where, you know, from a production standpoint, you know, something they could probably improve upon the next yeah. time. And again, I think it would have made sense to tell the crowd. Uh, and again, they might have told on the TV broadcast, but yeah. you know, that was something where it's like, okay, you know, we we've got this this cool effect of smoke coming out. Yep. But, you know, what does that even mean per se? Yeah. It, it it yeah, uh, again, small things we can look at, but I right. know my my view from the platform was just it was awesome. Um and then watching the women, I I love watching strong female powerlifters. It's it's so cool. Um, having one in my home, you know, means a lot. Uh, and then watching these women who truly are the best of the best was, 
uh, was so cool. Would I've loved to see some other ones out there? You bet. Um, st- being up there when Crystal Tate took that a fourteen was just man, just broke my heart to see her miss her third bench. I thought because I'd seen her at the women's pro am this mm-hmm. year, mm-hmm. and I believe at that meet, I think she might have taken a raw opener to get her squat I think in. So yeah, and then she missed. I know she missed her first shirted bench, and she might have come back and got it on the second one. I think she might have gotten the second, because I think that was... I don't know if her 1880 total was at the Pro-Am or if it was at... Yeah, it was at the Pro-Am. It wasn't at the WPL last year. because I've seen her a couple times in geared, and it's like, you know, she has struggled a little bit in the shirt. Yeah. I mean, benching in a shirt is not easy. It's it's very complicated. Nope. No, the... But I thought she would come back after missing it twice. I thought that, you know, she would get in order. She's got a coach, Sean Coppin, that really knows his stuff as far as shirted benching. It does. But it just, gosh, wasn't there for the day. And that broke my heart to see. It did. Because I, I think her her and Tara going toe-to-toe, uh, along with the rest of the, the amazing females that were out there, would, uh, would really have just really help continue to push the sport even further. Yeah, without seeing all the numbers. Um, but I have to imagine Crystal would have been far up there. Had she been able to get a bench in, and because she she's an she's an unbelievable deadlifter. Yeah, I mean she would have had a twelve hundred pound subtotal. If she just got that opener, right? So makes me go want to go cry about something else now. But. Uh, I was told at one point that Wayne came down to the platform and told you guys to speed up your loading of the bar. Yeah, I was also told that I touched the plates and that we needed to be farther away from them. And I told uh, that was relayed to me through someone else. I said you can relay that back. They can pound sand. I will make sure that my lifters stay safe. Yeah, I I got that message at the table as well, and I said I'm pretty sure they're not touching the plates. They are very close. Yep, but I'm pretty sure they're not touching. Yeah, but uh, but uh, awesome experience. Uh, losing the voice, the uh, the bruises, all that. Every single one of them worth it to uh, to stand up there, and I would gladly do it again. Yeah, you guys all did an excellent job. Detman, you know, catching thousand pound squats yeah. at the back spot. Yep, yep. I, it, he back spotted for a meet for me years and years ago. I believe it was. That's my first time meeting him. Actually, we had a blast this weekend. Oh, Detman's a great guy. Yes, he he's good people. Uh, I believe it might have been 06, 07 APF Junior Nationals that I ran, mm-hmm. and Mike White, who was the Michigan State chair at that time, was doing around an eleven hundred pound squat at the time. Yep, and I think fell back into Detman like five times like he bombed he at least fell back three times and i think on one of his attempts he was trying to get out of the rack and fell back a couple different times wow that's that's wild detman was actually much bigger back then but was able to i hear so i hear yeah he was he's gotten down in the 200s yeah high 280s 290s and he was closer to the fours at one point yeah but still was still is a big dude and did a great job back spotting and spotting all day yeah he did he did and you know he and i were yelling you know, calling out numbers and, and just it, it was a great time with all of us. We had we had fun as a spotting crew. We had the right people up there, definitely. I you had some great chemistry. Some, yeah, some people that really even John Compion who yeah. had emailed or emailed or Instagram messaged me, I can't remember, and asked about coming to watch. And I was like, Oh, I remember he's a big dude who yep. did one of our meets. And I said, Actually, how would you like a view right from the platform? Yeah. And uh, originally Sean Knowles is gonna help on the platform, but he wasn't sure if he was going to have to help Matt, so one of his teammates, Lloyd yep. Bingham, I believe. Bingham, yep. Lloyd Bingham from Florida, who is spotted at a bunch of the meets down there in Florida also. Yep. Really knows what he's doing. He knows geared lifting. Yeah. No, he and I had, uh, had some great conversations up there. So, um, yeah, it was just a, overall just a, an awesome experience. I, 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 I wish I could really relate. I may even do like a, just a big blog post about it because it just it, there's so much that went into it. Um, and again, just seeing some of my favorite people lifting and kicking butt and taking names. Right. And giving people hugs. I like to give hugs. 
We've we've fawned over this meat plenty, so let's talk about the negative. Not from what the meat was. But let's get angry. Yeah, let's let's talk about the haters. First of all, the common criticism I've seen even before this went on was, why is it the WPO? Why isn't it raw lifting? Well, you know what? Fuck raw lifting. I, Same. I, and I'm I'm in favor of raw lifting. And I've you know the uh, Marcos. I can't pronounce his last name. Uh, the big dogs meet in Australia is yep. giving out huge prize money yeah. and is, has a great meet this is, going this on. This coming there. weekend, actually. Right. I mean, giving out unbelievable prize money. And great. Uh, if you'd like to be on ESPN or on TV or on live streamed, please go. Go make, talk to them. Go talk to them. Go make a contact. Go make a contract. No one's stopping the IPF or anybody else. In fact, I heard the IPF announced they have a big cash meet being sponsored by SPD coming up. Yeah. Similar, ironically, a similar format to the WPO. Invite only, small yeah. number of lifters. Right, 12 lifters, the top lifters. I mean, oh. hey, that's great. I think it's great for the sport if there's lots of big meets. But you know what? It's multiply because that's what, that's what Wayne Pullum, the owner of the WPO, which we'll talk to him about why it's multiply, that's the type of lifting that he likes. Yeah. Um, it is the biggest numbers. It is a freak show. And, I, and we talked about this before. I mean freak show in the most positive manner. Yeah. And... From a perspective of the APF, and I'm going to back up just a little bit here because this the WPO is not the APF. It's not the WPC, but they are related. Yep. As of right now, the pathway to the WPO is through the APF and WPC. Yep. For a long time, the niche the APF was was the multiply organization, was an untested organization. When raw lifting came into vogue and the WPO went away, I do think we lost some of our uniqueness. Because if all you are as an organization is one that runs, you know, well-run, lifter-friendly meets that you could lift raw, you could lift equipped, mm-hmm. there's a half dozen organizations that could plausibly fit that bill. Yep. The WPO puts it over the top because it does establish a niche for the APF that if you want to lift the biggest freaking weights possible, yep. you can do it in the APF leading in the WPO. And, and it's – when you think about – what is going to make the sport bigger? And, and I know that yes, big weights, all that, like that—that that is what they're focused on. It, it is coverage, and what is going to get coverage early on? We've talked about this before. I've talked about this in other venues. Is the monstrous, almost incomprehensible weights? Telling somebody that I watched a half dozen people squat over eleven hundred pounds and one guy squat over twelve hundred this weekend, casually, quote unquote. That is what get, gets people's attention. Don't be wrong. A, you know, 700-pound squat, 800-pound squat, 900-pound squat by a raw guy, 1,000-pound squat by certain other lifters. All raw. That's awesome. It's great. And I or a single ply, like yeah, Blaine Sumner. Yeah. Super impressive. One of my favorite lifters to watch. Right. Even though single ply is bullshit. It is, but Blaine yeah. Sumner's not bullshit. Correct. He is not. Uh, he's the real He deal. should come to the WPO. That would be awesome. Okay. Now, let, let's... Uh, hold, no, this is fine. Hold your thought. Yep. Okay. There was some talk online about who can even touch Dave Hoff because, again, we had some of the best lifters. That is nothing against or nothing to bad to say against Merck nope. or Tenajero, all the other lifters that lifted awesome. But You look at the separation, though. Right. There's a big separation there. Who could possibly touch Hoff if he got it with a squat bar, if he got a bench bar, if he got another layer of equipment? I do think Blaine Sumner could possibly give Hoff a run for his money. Yep. I can't run the numbers off the top of my head, but I can tell you that 
Blaine Sumner has squatted. Has he squatted eleven hundred in single ply, or he's he's at least been in the mid thousands. I think it was right before his his accident with his arm. He's definitely benched a thousand. Yep. In a you know so his bench in a single ply shirt in a single ply shirt with a forty five pound bar. All this is forty five pound bar. Yep. And you know walked out on his squat. So let's take other quote variables quote supplements out of the equation because I'm not going to make any determination on that one way or the other. Yep. But just add a squat bar, add a monolift. And add another layer of equipment. What do you think he could do after the learning curve? I think he can give Hoff a run. Right there, and there definitely is a learning curve. But there's and less it, of a learning curve going from single ply to multiply correct. versus, you know, say a Ray Williams saying I'm going to jump into multiply. Yeah. And and, 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 I, and I, what I think would be awesome too is, is I, I fully believe Hoff and Blaine Sumner would be down for that. I think I, I think they Hoff, have a healthy respect between the two right. of them. Oh, I, I think so. Fully believe they'd be down for it. Yeah, and, and Hoff is not a hater of other lifters, no. nor is Blaine Sumner, for that no, matter. Hoff, no. but uh, I think Hoff would enjoy Wait, wait interesting the best of what they do are not haters on others. Right. It's interesting that they don't go on social media and rip each other's lifting, even though yeah. they lift in different organizations. Mm-hmm. You know, different Blaine standards. Sumner's been to Westside and has taken some ideas from Louie. Yeah. Um, I think I've seen Dave Hoff put over big raw lifters before. And yeah. Says, that's not what I do, but gosh, you can't. I mean, when Ray Williams squats a thousand pound raw, you Respect. can't right on a forty five pound bar and knee sleeves. Yeah, that's impressive. Yeah. I might think knee sleeves are bullshit, but they I are, but. but I can appreciate the difference between having knee sleeves and knee wraps on, or having knee sleeves and a singlet versus a canvas squat suit. Yeah, you can understand the context without it's, disrespecting one or the other. It's game recognized game. That that is, I, I've had this conversation many many times with Crystal Tate's coach Sean Coblin, uh, who had a long post on social media on just what we're talking about today. I, I was I actually have it pulled up right now if I unlock my phone. So I was thinking about like it, it, he's not wrong because where, where it comes down to in that post is exposure to the sport is what drives it forward. A rising period. tide raises all ships. Yep, I saw tons of people posting about that. I mean, we we talked about how. If the IPF was ever able to make it to the Olympics, which I'm not even sure is their goal anymore. That's another offshoot topic. Yep. But if they made it into the Olympics, I think that would be good, even if it was raw powerlifting. It'd be it, great. There was even talk back in the early 2000s that some people believed getting powerlifting in the Olympics would mean getting rid of the squat and making it a bench deadlift contest, which I don't think I would like. But even if that was, even if it was raw bench deadlift, I think even that could help powerlifting yeah. overall. Yeah. I, I, it could, because again, it's just it's more exposure. Sean hit it on the head. Did strongman start out with all the all the big worldwide coverage that it's got now? No, it didn't. It started out in it people's on backyards, it, right? And it was well, and even when it was on TV, it was on at probably two in the morning on ESPN. Right. It was either the precursor or it came right after you know, cut up tapes of sumo wrestling. Right. And when it got. You know, some eyeballs on it. Then they moved it up, and, yep. and it became a bigger thing. Yeah. And guess what? We're not starting at two a.m. We're we're doing live, not even shows like produ- produced. We're doing live. So right. Five hours of content. Right. So we're already light years ahead of that. And and so the guys, and then especially the guys that don't even bother watching the damn broadcast. Yeah. You you sent me a video. I don't know if we want to name the guy or not. I don't really TD care. Smash. I said it. Okay. At I don't. Me. And I, not that I, when I say I don't know who he is, that doesn't mean anything because I don't really follow people outside my organization other than the really, really tippy top guys. Sure. And don't get me wrong, he's got a big bench, 622 bench, good, raw, good for him. But his comments were as though, and I'm going to guess he did not even watch it. No. Because he, 
many of the people who Sean was talking about in his post, I could have predicted all their comments before the meet even occurred. Two months ago. Because they were already there. It was, why isn't it raw lifting? Why is it multiply? Multiply judging is bullshit. Their squats are all high. Their squats are all high. It's not drug tested. They use a monolift. I mean, and it wouldn't have mattered. You could have fixed 10 of those things. They yep. still would have come up with something else. Right. Because they allowed headgear. They, you know, it was all Inzer stuff, or they had overkill stuff, or stuff that nobody ever heard of these companies. Right. They would have figured it out. Well, I mean, when I went on the IPF's Instagram page and some girl, you know, squatted a super deep 400-pound squat at like 120 body weight. Awesome. In a single-ply suit, and all the comments were negative. It's like, well, it doesn't matter. It no. doesn't. It doesn't matter. No. Someone's going to make some bullshit comment about it no matter what. And in some ways, it's like, you know, the old saying that any press is good press. Even bad press could be good press. Right, because you know what? People are going to go find it and they're going to say either, yeah, they're right, those comments. But hey, guess what? You still watched it. And we got people talking about it and watching it. And the haters that went on and said, oh, all the squats were high. And Ken Stone's a stupid judge that white-lighted that. Well, okay, but you went and watched it and you increased our viewing numbers. Yep, appreciate it. Sorry, not sorry. And I know I've made this comment when we started this, but you know what? Again, if you want it to be raw lifting, if you want it to be IPF lifting, they're all welcome to go call ESPN or call, hey, call a different company. Say, hey, we can provide you with a competing one that's better because it's raw or it's single ply or we're drug tested. Call Fox Sportsnet. Call CBS Sports. Just just remember, the only raw lifting I see on Netflix is CrossFit. (laughs) Exactly. And Westside versus the World, which was, you know, a big sponsor of this event, what was the focus of Westside with Worst the World? Was well, it was it raw lifting? I don't. Was it IPF lifting? I don't think it was. I think it was uh, equipped lifting. Multiply. Multiply, kids. And you know what? Mark Bell, big promoter of raw lifting. What's he come out with a few weeks ago? <laughs> right. Some faux slingshot briefs. Right. Guys, I, I hate to break it to y'all. And, and so we, so now there's some folks that were... They had videos up on their social media of them watching the meet. Once again, thanks. Appreciate it. I love seeing myself in other people's feeds. You will be in multiply someday. I'm calling it now. If you are still in the sport, because guess what? You already wear knee sleeves. It's already started. Right, exactly. It's It's already starting. It's the slippery slope. It is. Or they won't be in the sport, which is probably more likely. and, And in that case, awesome. Even better. Best of luck to you. We appreciate it. What you did here was cool. But that's also why no one will remember your name. Well, and just because Wayne Pullum and the WPO and the APF want to promote multiply lifting, that doesn't mean we don't. I mean, we have raw lifting in the APF and the APC. That doesn't mean we don't. Guess who does it? This guy right here. Right. This is coming from a raw, raw, raw lifter here. All all this anger right now is coming from somebody who doesn't even compete in this shit yet. Here's the thing. Why is this event being multiply affect what anybody else does and their, what they do in the sport. Is this the rhetorical question you're actually asking me? I, I, I guess both. It's fucking jealousy. It is fucking jealousy. Uh, the, the video I sent you, I know I put this comment in, it reeks of jealousy. Because guess what? If your ass had gotten invited to that TD Smash, you would have been there. And I said this before the WPO, and so you could go back and listen when we yep. talked about this before. I said, if the WPO goes well, which I believe it did. I think it did too. And... The commentator, which was with Super D, I can't remember his name. Uh, I can get you that. can maybe pull it up on Instagram. I followed him on Instagram. He said, hey, see you guys back at the Arnold Classic on March 30th. He did. There's a reason this was called the WPO Championship Series, because yep. ESPN wanted a multi-part event. They wanted the Super Finals. They wanted semifinals. Matt Martucci. 
Okay. They might even want another event in there is from what I hear as well. Maybe a bench only, but don't quote me on that. Barzine and others, if you ever listen to this, <laughs> don't quote me on that. There's talk about it. I'm not saying it's going to happen. That would be dope. Because I'm not in charge of anything. Would be dope. I'm just a dude that helped. Yep. But again, just because the WPO does well, that has no effect on you. It doesn't. And you're right. It's it's just fucking jealousy. And they, and it's the the brand of lifting they quote don't like. But why why do you care? Is why I'm asking. Uh, and again, I, I I know I joke about because it. they're getting because Dave Hoff is getting quote more press. Well, you know what? Lift more weights and you will too. And, and how does that affect your life? Is Dave Hoff taking away multi million dollar sponsorships from you at this point? No, Pro- probably oh. not. And even if he was, the person who's complaining is not getting that anyway, right? Because the top raw lifters, as we talked about, is uh, Blaine Sumner going on and bitching about the WPO? No, is you know even- what he's doing? He's congratulating Hoff, right? <laughs> That's what he's fucking doing. Back in the day when the argument was single ply multiply, if you asked, if you put a gun to his head and asked Ed Cohn, do you prefer single ply in the USPF or multiply in the APF? He would 10 times out of 10 say, hey, you didn't even have to put a gun to his head, you just ask him. Yeah. He'd say, I prefer walked out squats, USPF, single ply lifting. There you go. But he still would respect what people did in other organizations. He wouldn't publicly rip no. what the other organizations were doing. No. And again, I just think that's very childish. I think it's very ignorant because, again, especially the people that have not put the stuff on, they just they they don't understand it yet. And so, either a you're going to do it at some point, and you're going to eat your words, and that's fine because you know what? I'll still spot you, and I'll hype you up. I will gas uh, gas up the crowd for you. You'll never be in the sport again. Whoops. Okay, fine. Or you're just going to be hurt all the time, and you won't even lift anymore, and it, you might as well not be in. Right, and so it, it just it got me so upset. You, uh, but but Bane, and it got me upset too. But I again, I could have predicted all this was going to happen beforehand. People were we wait- talked about it, <laughs> right? People and people were waiting for this to fail. They wanted it to be a shit show. They wanted the squats to be ten feet high. And even if they had been, Hoff could have put his ass on the ground. Yep, he could have literally squatted three inches below parallel. Yep. They still would have bitched about the monolift, the squat bar, the non-drug testing. And the canvas squat suit. Yep. It wouldn't matter how deep he squatted. He could have taken off the canvas squat the suit. The conspiracy judges, the right. everything. He could have put on a single ply squat suit and dunked 1100. They say, well, it's still with a monolift and it's with a squat bar. Yep. Put the ER racks up and then right. they're still going to say it's a squat bar. Right. Put a 45 power bar as well. It, it was made by Chris Dubbins, and it wasn't so. And it wasn't IPF. Yeah. So it, it almost wouldn't have mattered what would have happened. You could have predicted all these comments beforehand. And I think because it has come off so well from a TV production standpoint. You got to tear it down. Exactly. That's it, that's one thing that we talked about, social media and the internet. That's one thing that is a probably the biggest negative of the internet in general is the anonymous negativity yep. of people when if they would see Dave Hoff on the street, they probably would fanboy out. Uh, and they sure, yeah. and maybe not, they sure as fuck wouldn't go up to Dave Hoff and tell him his squats were high and his squats are bullshit in the multiply suit. I guarantee you that. I, I can also guarantee that not to go up and say, hey, you fat ass, you look like a fucking potato with your multiply suit. They're not going to say it. Right. You know, and so again, if people want to know why it was multiply, that's, that's the product that the WPO wanted to produce. That's yeah. the niche that the APF and WPC would like to carve out. Yeah. That's, there, there's, it, plenty, there's plenty of eyeballs to watch different types of sports and different types of lifting. This is maybe a niche sport, but that's okay. We could have a multiply uh, 
professional organization and you can still have the IPF Worlds and you can have a big SBD professional meet in Europe and you can have a big dogs meet in Australia yep. and you could have a US Open in California yep. and give out prize money. And at the end of the day, there's probably enough lifters to go around. There are. In the and if they would like to contact a big network again, I, I guess I've harped on this a couple of times, so I won't harp on it again. But if you'd like to contact a network and have a production team come out and produce a streaming content of your meet, there's nobody stopping. There's plenty of TV networks out there, even outside yeah. of ESPN. Yeah. They do sports, even. A lot of them. Yeah. And, and so it, there's there's literally nothing stopping you. And so I, I all I'll tell you is sack up and either call the networks or just shut your mouth. Well, at the end of the day, I think what it shows is that ESPN at least had some faith in the show aspect of multiply lifting. Yep. And that's why, you know, again, the the gigantic freakish weights, the gigantic and even small freakishly strong lifters. Yep. And hey, we're taking our body to the limits by strapping ourselves in specialized suits and shirts and you can hit all that. That's cool, but that's that's the that's what makes it unique and that's what makes it a unique watching experience because that's what we're talking about here is a watching experience it doesn't have to be the type of lifting you like no because guess what powerlifting meets generally are boring and for a five-hour broadcast this was i would say fairly exciting different camera angles yeah we knew what was going on now are most people going to sit there and watch the meet for five hours straight no but i'm sure there's a lot of people at work that had it streaming somewhere or a lot of two places right I, i saw people all over the place And when we talk about, when we go back to our talk about technology and what companies are looking to do, they're looking to produce content. Yep. And if I can produce five hours of content that get people onto my ESPN app and get on, get people onto my ESPN website, that's, that's a win for them. And they see how simple it is to use and to stream the app. Guess what? They're going to watch other stuff on there too. It's a win, win for everybody. (sighs) That's a lot of strength and anger tonight. That's a lot. We've got two hours in there. I believe so, sir. That's, wow. That's our longest yet. Yeah. And we could probably go on for another hour. So much stamina, so much GPP. If we wanted to go back into some of the stories of the weekend, some of which we can tell, some of which we cannot tell, we could continue on for a while. But since can, we... That's a one fun story. Of course. Okay. So I, I have followed Jeannie Nutter for a couple of years. Um, just a, I think it was one of the happenstance I was scrolling through and was randomly liking a bunch of pictures of people and, you know, following a couple others. And then randomly she just f- showed up in my feed and started to follow me. So we followed each other for a couple of years now and she was lifting this weekend. So on her last deadlift, I asked Loisa, Hey, it's like the back spotter just because, because my assumption was she was going to get the lift and, you know, there'd be pictures out there. Like, Hey, cool. I can, you know, be on their Instagram and like, Hey, look at that. I can make another connection in the powerlifting world. So she doesn't quite get the lift and then just very slowly passes out on, on to me. And we, we let her down or whatever. And she did the same thing on squats. And, you know, we had to carry her off. But it was just so cool that, you know, go back to our conversation last week on social media. And then here I am at the the biggest meet of the year on ESPN. I'm spotting this person that I've, you know, been connected with on social media for a couple of years. And I get to catch her, make sure she doesn't hit her head when she faints. How cool was that? I just love that. I like that story. Yeah. And man, she, yeah, she did pass out on, she was the one that almost hit the ground on squats. Yep. Yep. And, and I thought she'd blown out her knee, to be perfectly honest. But obviously she's okay. She was. Because she went on and benched and deadlift. 
Yep, and I, I got to give uh, Devin also, credit because he basically Zerter squatted that. that bar. Who did? Devin basically Zerter God. squatted that. Yeah, because she she let go of the bar. Correct. She did. She was gone. She was right. out. Yeah, out. she just it was lights out. Yep. Yep. And she's also a relentless lifter. I she is. met her, and I'm pretty sure her husband. Yeah. And we chatted at uh, Relentless when uh, my wife lifted, and and she was lifting there as yep. well. So yeah, that's that's a good story. That's a good positive story for us to end on after after a lot of strength and anger for the last. 15 minutes on the haters. We could probably continue on on this, uh, on the haters, but I do think this does. Now, I, no guarantees, because it seems like the last two weeks when I've said we're going to have a topic next week, it's ended up being something different based on just what the hell is going on. Yep. So we're going to say that it is proposed, yes, projected, that next week we will talk about the alphabet soup of powerlifting. And I think fits well coming off this episode because there's going to be a lot of people wondering, you know, what the hell is IPF, WPC, APF, WPO? It, it is literally an alphabet soup. Yeah. And I'm going to... M-O-U-S-E, everything. Right. Yeah. FedEx, UPS. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like uh, I joke with one of my clients here that uh, happened to work for a three-letter government agency, and he doesn't like that necessarily being known. So yep. he tells people, yeah, I work for you know UPS, FedEx, you know whatever. Yep. Not, not yep. a three-letter government organization. And I am going to take all of you on a... Another history lesson whenever we go through the alphabet soup. Let's do the history. And there's probably, a lot. Probably talk a little bit about, about big dogs as well. Okay, yeah, we can definitely talk about that. Uh, is Eric Littlebridge lifting in big dogs? I am not sure. I know uh, Skylar Brandt is who competed yes. at the Illinois State Meet. Yeah, he's from Michigan. Yep. Did the Illinois State Meet, did APF Nationals. Yep, strong kid. Strong, strong kid. large, gigantic kid. Yep, so... Excited to see what I believe uh, he said at the state meet it was the biggest teenage raw total of all time yep. of all time yep. which is damn impressive that is so I'll be interested to see how he does you know and also gosh he, I mean does not hit on the gear by the way what's that does not hit on the gear yeah I mean holy cow to fly all the way to Australia I mean that's one thing I remember where I people had hated on Eric Lillibridge back mm-hmm. in the day because he had done a lot of just local meets and you know no one's required to go anywhere to do a meet no. I mean Tom you, Callis right you lift for yourself unless you get paid a lot of money yep but i had to give eric Littlebridge a ton of credit when he first went over to australia a number of years ago and did so well and he uh, i think maybe one of the times he went over there he bombed but he's yep. had other times where he did really well yep. now he's basically living in australia yeah i feel like he is yeah he's well he got married time there well he got married to an australian woman so okay. i think he's basically living there but nonetheless living in there's, chicago there's worse places to live Living in Chicago and traveling to Australia or Michigan and traveling to Australia, that's that's a challenge. That is. It you is. could talk to your, your buddy from Monster Garage, Eric Marosher, about traveling to South Africa, South Africa yep. and competing. He went like four or five days early to yeah. get acclimated. Yep. Yeah, they did. Uh, they, they had a whole thing. Him and, him and Don went down there and did you know, a bunch of travel and all that fun stuff down there. But anyway, another story for another time. This is Eric Stone signing out. Strength and anger. <laughs>